injured in a car accident? It's about money, your money, your settlement. We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, you pay no fees or costs. We strive to get you more at LawyerUp904.com. Hey, welcome in. Glad you're along for the ride on this Wednesday installment of the program right here at Island Wing Company on the south side and also brought to you by our friends at the Kitchen and Flooring Design Center, Frank Frangie, Hayes Carlion, uh, Lauren Brooks, and Andrew Gibson back on the south side. That's right. Back in our neck of the woods, my neck of the woods, not yours, but your place, though. You kind of invented the place. Yeah, this is. Uh, we're going to have some celebratory uh, coconut shrimp today yes. here at Island Wing Company because congratulations are in order to you, Mr. Frangie, and your ball club. Winning the lottery, oh, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Everything changes now. <laughs> we, you, I don't want Aaron Judge if I can have third baseman from LSU. Okay, just so you know that, okay? Why would you? I have no interest in that guy. Give me third baseman from LSU that hit that big two-out double against Ole Miss. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. I don't know his name, but give me him. Right. Can I have yeah. him? That's yeah. the guy I want. You can, you can have Aaron Judge. <laughs> <laughs> the Pirates have won the first ever baseball lottery. That's the right. The NFL now is the only sport without the lottery. And they need to go. You've, to al- you've always said yeah. that, haven't you? You, you, yeah. have, you have said that from day one since I've worked with you that they need to. So, yeah, there is that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to celebrate. You know, maybe the, maybe the relief pitcher from Rice, okay? Yeah. I mean, you don't think that will change things? Mm-hmm. The world changes when that happens. So, there you go. Is there a, uh, is there a generational prospect? There is not. In this draft for I, the I, Pirates I, to select. I will tell you the two players that, they're, that they – are on the radar are Dylan Cruz, who really is an outfielder from LSU, and Wyatt Langford, who's the outfielder of Florida, who, came, who surprisingly hit, hit 30 home runs and came back or whatever he hit. Right? Remember that? So it was it 30 or 25 home runs, something like that. And he came back to Florida, and he shocked the world by going back. So uh, I'll take the Gator. Again, I don't want it. I don't, Aaron Judge, that's overrated. Yeah. I don't want him. Trey Turner. Anybody can have Trey Turner. <laughs> then it's easy. I don't want it to be easy, Brooks. I want it to be hard. I can understand that. Yeah. I'm going to celebrate that it feels like springtime outside versus winter. Spring yeah, or summer? No, I wouldn't yeah. go summer. Summer yeah. is like 98 yeah. here, around it's here. Not. It's only like 82 outside. Yeah, it feels great. It was, uh, so a lot of things to do on the program today. Mike Keith, uh, my good buddy, the voice of the Titan, will join us at 5 o'clock. Uh, Chris Harry, we think, is going to stop by at some point today. Uh, he uh, covers the Gators uh, for um, FloridaGators.com. He knows the team better than anybody. He travels with them. He knows the coach as well. Uh, Chris is going to try and squeeze some time in for us today. We'll let you know when that is, uh, when he gives me kind of an idea. He's a, it, he goes to walkthroughs and then spends some time with the team. So all that coming up. I want to talk about the Trevor injury. Uh, I want to talk – I, I got a, an opinion about Jeff Brom going back to Louisville. I got a thought about that. So this – I know everybody else knew that they were going to gut the team, the Gators and everybody else. And I think it's a good thing because Billy Napier needs to build, build it, A, with the guys he wants, B, with good players. Every team has a handful of bad players, and you don't always get a chance to run off the bad players. But, boy, that's a lot of players that are going to have to replace. You know, it's 25 now that are gone from the team between either. I mean, 25 guys with eligibility left. I'm not even talking about seniors. 25 guys with eligibility left. I'm not counting Ventro Miller. Right. And, and that's a lot of guys. 18 now on the portal. Some, some, some three kicked off the team who probably were going to the portal anyway. And then the four NFL guys. Man, that seems like a lot, doesn't it? It is a lot, but it had to be a lot, and there's going to be more. I mean, we talked about it in Florida's senior day. They only had four legitimate players that had no more eligibility left, four. Uh, Miller, Dean, Pouncey, and there was a a fourth one that I can't remember. Uh, And then they ended up having like 17 participate in senior day because guys like Torrance, Garage, guys that knew that they were leaving uh, shorter participated. But – 
you, you got to clear space. I mean, even if you were only, even if you were happy with your roster as it is, but you wanted to sign 28 uh, prospects, you'd, you'd still have to clear room. But this is a situation where you need, you need your 28-man freshman class, and then you need like 12 more portal guys that can step in immediately and help you next year. So that's 40 spots. So if you've only got four guys that are basically, they, they're done, they cannot come back, and you've got to clear 40, that's 36 guys that either have to declare or be told to leave. And uh, so I, I think it's a good thing. And, look, I think TCU, USC have, have shown this year that you can have massive attrition and bounce back. And, you know, I don't know that the Gators are going to be in, like, playoff contention because their schedule next year is going to be – Every bit is hard. They open the season at Utah. Um, but, uh, but in terms of uh, improving and, and having more talent, this had, to, this had to happen. Frankly, they need probably five or ten more guys to leave. They need more space than what they have now. I think the fourth one was Amari Bernie. Bernie. Yeah. That's right. Um, yeah, look, FSU showed it too, that if you go to the transfer portal and if you find capable guys and they don't always have to be from Power 5 schools – then you can be successful. And, and I think Billy Napier gave this roster as much benefit of the doubt as he could. And then he realized a few games into the season that was a massive mistake and I should have hit the transfer portal harder, but we're stuck with what we have now. And, yeah, there are going to be some hard conversations at the end of the year and some other conversations with uh, – there's some of these guys' names, Hayes, I've never heard of. The, right. There was a Collier. I was like, I've literally never heard of this kid. So I, it doesn't surprise me that he's entering uh, the transfer and, portal. And, and again – Keep an eye on where these kids end up signing. Sure. It's not going to be at Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State. You're going to see a lot of Marshall, East Carolina. You're going to see a lot of Tulsa. You're going to see some probably even FCS. Uh, you're, you, you may see one or two of these guys end up at a school of some significance, but the majority of these guys are about to, in terms of program prestige, they're about to get a uh, massive, massive uh, demotion. To their next uh, next program. All right, so a lot of things to get to today on the program. Our friend Chris Harry will join us at 5.20. So the last hour of the program will be Mike Keith at 5 o'clock, Chris Harry at 5.20. So we'll talk some Jaguars, Titans, and some Gators tonight. They play host to UConn not that long before the game. UConn's second in the net. Yeah, they're second. And Mia's right, but they're fifth, by the way, in, in the AP poll, not Mike. Um, so the, the but in the net they're, rankings, yeah, they're, they're second. Yeah, they're very good. So Gators, the game's at 9 o'clock. Yeah, Gators could get their doors blown off, so, so we'll see what. Yeah, what the was. line's not big, Yeah, though. they're 9-0, and, oh and it's at 9 o'clock, but the 1-9 that wasn't was the ranking. Yeah. I cheated death. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh. How'd that you happen? Al- you almost had the I'm show. I'm so glad that yeah, yeah, you did that. So today, I'm hanging a wreath, okay? But it's the, out- it's the last part of our thing, big wreath. Like you guys see in the front of our house, so the high front mm-hmm. over the garage area. Prickly. Oh, prickly. Thanks for asking. Um, thanks for helping me describe it. I thought Christmas was done like three weeks it, ago. It was, except for this. I'll keep wanting to add, but this is the last thing. So we have this ladder, but it's high. So we have this 12-foot ladder. I mean, it's a bit, that's, the, that's a high ladder. Okay? That's a very high ladder. So, so and usually we have, a, we, have a, we have this 6-footer and a 12-footer, or maybe it's an 8-footer and a 12-footer. I'm on the 12-footer. Do you have a spotter for this? Well, that's kind of where the story okay. comes in, okay? So the spotter is not great at spotting. <laughs> uh, what I did is I went out and recruited – a five foot three redhead to spot. Okay, <laughs> probably not this this person's strength, which is okay. I mean, not everybody's good at everything, right? So, but the problem is this 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 ladder is in the mulch, 
Mm. Mulch can be soft. It's, yeah. You can have a foundation issue. Okay. So I'm on the ladder at the top, and I've got a weight. I've balanced it now. Where I'm, I've got it balanced. I'm leaning the right way. My feet are right. So, so it's, it, it's sitting nicely in the mulch, but it's not like on ground or concrete. Okay, it's in the mulch. So the spotter, who's worried that I'm going to die, thinks she's helping. Okay? So she goes to the other side of the ladder. She said, I'll hold the ladder. No, I'm good. The ladder's good. So I just about got it hung. Okay? About got it hung. But she, the, the five foot three spotter is afraid I'm, I'm, I need help. <laughs> so to, to hold the ladder steady, she puts both hands on the ladder. Okay? You with me? You yep. still with me, Ken? But she's still worried. And it's, I, said, I, I said, honey, I'm good. The ladder's good. Right as I'm about to hang it, she thinks to make the ladder really stable, she'll put her foot down on the cross thing, oh. thinking that makes it stable. Yeah. Right into the mulch. Ladder goes. I'm holding on to the side of the shingles, probably six or seven feet in the air. My feet are probably six feet. <laughs> Hanging on, okay, thinking, are we, is this really happening? <laughs> is, is anyone this, screaming? Yeah, no, yes, the, the five-foot-three yeah. spotter is screaming. <laughs> What do you, and, and then the five or three spotter freezes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now, I don't need freezing right now. What I need right. is let's get the ladder back. You need poise. Okay. So, so I'm <laughs> hanging on. Now, I'm hang, now, now drop the wreath. I'm hanging on both hands. Oh, they so, dropped the wreath. Dro- dropped the wreath. So <laughs> then I, so, so that, it, <laughs> that was the problem. So finally, I'm, 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 I'm hanging on both hands. I'm crying and grab the ladder with my left foot. Because the spotter's not helping. <laughs> I'm hanging up here. I'm six or seven feet off the ground. I'm, hang- I'm grabbing the ladder with my left foot trying to stabilize it. Finally, I get it stabilized. And uh, I get, get the ladder stabilized. And when I get it stabilized, the spotter grabs, leaves her foot off the rail, just grabs it and holds it. As my legs finally get my left leg on it, okay, still trying to swing with my right leg. Mm-hmm. Both hands are holding the shingle. Finally get back on. Get back on the, the ladder. And, um, and then I climb down, okay? The spotter's got both hands on it with a death grip, okay? And I get to the bottom. True story. I get to the bottom. She goes, okay, yeah, I'm good. She goes, I was glad I had a hold of this thing. I said, had a hold of this thing? You're a step. That's why I almost died, okay? I was going to break my neck in eight places. I was going to need vertebrae surgery, okay? I was going to need one of those halos, you know? I about had the halo. And uh, glad I had a hold of this thing. So, anyway. We're good. Yeah. Went back up the ladder. I was going to ask. By myself, okay? Yeah. You know, and uh, hung the wreath. So there's that. I think. Well done. That? That's what I got for you. Cheated death today is what it's we did. It's a Christmas miracle. Oh, we cheated death today. I'm very proud of your poise oh. in, the, in the crazy chaos. But I will say maybe when you go to get the wreath off, put the ladder on something more stable that, than mulch, well, like a, a flat pallet or something along those that lines. There's two ideas. One that. Or two, ask the spotter to go to lunch with their daughter, or one of her friends, <laughs> and let me handle it. Okay, that, so, so there's two, right, right. Hey, there's two ways yeah. to do that. There's the solid foundation, or there's the why don't you and Bernadette go to lunch? There's the one, or get I, a new spotter. Yeah, <laughs> right, or or recruit a new. You know, the budget's low. Maybe we recruit a new spotter. So, <laughs> so that's what happened today. I thought you guys would uh, like to share that with. Love you. it. Uh, we'll take a break. Let's talk Trevor Lawrence. Uh, he he said today he expects to play, and I expect he will too. He did not practice. He's got the toe injury. Let's talk that in Jags and Titans. This is 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Yeah, feeling feeling better today um, than I was Monday and yesterday. You know, a little bit of the soreness is is kind of is going down a little bit. Um, obviously, still still sore and kind of taking it day by day. But 
um, fortunate for sure. You know, I feel I feel pretty good. It's a kitchen and flooring design center Wednesday on the Frangie Show. Make your home dreams come true with the Kitchen and Flooring Design Center. Hey, we're glad you're with us. Hayes Carline is here. Lauren Brooks, Andrew Gibson back at World Headquarters. We're live at the uh, Island Wing Company location on the south side, south side Boulevard and Kitchen and Flooring Design Center, right across the street. And they are the best man-on-man. Oh, man. Renee and his team, they are so good. They've done uh, our home. They've done our, our kitchen, our f- floors, our bathroom, heck, our closets. They've done Lauren. A lot of stuff in Lauren's interior as well. They can take care of yours as well. Head to the Kitchen Floor and Design Center. They do an outstanding job right here on Southside Boulevard. That's the, there's a lot of there's a lot of imposters. There's only one Kitchen and Flooring Design Center. They are the folks you can really really trust. Trevor Lawrence spoke a moment ago. That's what Gibby was just playing uh, just now. Um, he's going to be able to play, I think. Uh, I, I sense, for starters, Hayes. I sense this is a this is precautionary. I sense if the football game was today, he'd play. Uh, he was held out of practice because. By now, you can probably miss a practice. You can walk through, you can do the walk through. You got a pretty good idea what the game plan is. I don't think there's a whole lot of new plays by now. Yeah, there may be some plays in new formations based on how it fits the Titans' defense. But I think you can miss a practice. I think my guess is, and I'm just guessing, that today would be totally precautionary. I, I would agree. I think it's about getting Trevor as comfortable for Sunday as as he can be, and the the best thing for that with the toe is rest and and rehabbing it. Uh, and not going out there in a practice and, you know, throwing it 40 times when you're, you know, having to, to plan on it and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, Trevor, again, he's going to be able to absorb everything he needs to absorb. I mean, ideally you would practice, obviously, but I don't think it, it dramatically is going to affect him or the offense. Uh, and, and to be honest, if I'd, I'd have no problem with him not practicing at all and playing Sunday. I mean, I think he's, he's earned that. Uh, so really, it's whatever is going to enable him to get through a 60-minute game Sunday in the, in the <coughs> least amount of pain. I'm sure there's going to be pain, but making it as tolerable and as manageable as it can be because, you know, if Jeffrey Simmons gets a chance, he is going to be twisting on that little piggy all the way home. Yeah, yikes is what that sounds like to me. Week 14, I can't imagine that practices are that intense at this point anyway. I would assume that they're much more walkthroughs. So while, yes, it's helpful to be able to go through it, I think mental reps are are just fine. And, I mean, will I be shocked if Trevor Lawrence doesn't play? No. That means that the pain might have intensified this week and – Maybe he shouldn't have gone back in uh, against the Lions. But I, it, it sounds like he's going to be just fine. Yeah, I would be shocked if he doesn't play. I, I would be shocked if he doesn't play. Now, could he re-injure it? Could something happen when he plays? But I would be shocked if he doesn't play in the game. So I, I think they're going to have Trevor Lawrence, which takes us to the game. This is a really big game still. It's hard to – I heard after the handoff, uh, I heard Matt and me right at the end, and Matt said Matt – said, Frank and some folks are losing sight of the fact that uh, four of the five teams they have left player or left to play are still playoff teams. And, and no, no, no. I, I think we all get that. I'm not. I don't think they're going to win five games and go to the playoffs. I, that wasn't ever my point. I said I think it's unlikely. But if you're the football team, we're not talking about what what we think. My point was to me, and if you're the football team, the only way you can look at this is let's go win five games and get to the playoffs. That's the only way to look at it. There's no other. Regardless of what it looks like from the outside, regardless of what the fans, media, or common sense says, how good the teams are you're playing, the only way to look at this is this is a playoff run. And it really is, by the way. I'll say it again. 
if the Jags win all five games, they are in the playoffs because the Titans would have to lose another one. And I think that, well, no, the Titans, yeah, the Titans would have to lose another game but because they're two back. But they are the three back. The Titans would have to yeah. lose another game because they're three back. But if the Titans lose twice to the Jaguars, my guess is they're going to lose again, too. Okay. Play to the Cowboys. So they play the Cowboys. They go to Los Angeles. So they. So my, my guess is they're going to lose again if they lose twice to the Jags. So the point is, is that, does it seem likely from us trying to look at it objectively? Of course not. But if you're the football team, the only way to look at this is let's go get to the play. This is a playoff. These are playoff games. And as long as we keep winning those, we'll win the Super Bowl. That's, again, that's not us talking. That's not us being unrealistic. Of course, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Nobody thinks that from our standpoint. But if I'm the football team, that's the only way to look at it. And this doesn't have to be a presentation with a lot of arrows and connections. <laughs> <Right>. I mean, basically, <laughs> you don't need a PowerPoint. Yeah, basically, it's sweep the Titans, and then you're, you know, again, win all three. If that'd be great, but basically, it's sweep the Titans, and then even if you lose to the Cowboys, as long as the Titans lose to the Chargers that week, you know, you go and beat the Jets, you beat the Texans. If the Titans lose to the Chargers and Cowboys, which absolutely could happen, there's your division title. So, uh, I mean, again, I, I think it's a very easy message for Doug Peterson because they are still in it. It's just they're out of mulligans. I mean, now you, you don't have any more uh, mulligans to give. I mean, unless the Titans, you know, really, really fall apart. Um, but the, the Titans do still have a game in Nashville against Houston who isn't going to beat them. So you know that the Titans are going to get a minimum of one more. And so you got to make up three games. You play them twice. So you're going to have to win two of the three, home against Dallas, at the Jets, at the Texans. If you're the Jaguars, you've got to win two of those three games. And the other part of the message, if I'm Doug Peterson, is who do you want to show the world that you are? Which team? The team that was super successful earlier in the season and getting after the quarterback and putting up points? Or the team that just laid an egg in Detroit? Do you want the lasting memory of this season, the 2022 season, to be that you're an embarrassment? Or do you want it to be that you all of a sudden got on fire and watch out for this team next season? And let me say this about this. If you win this week, not only are you still in it, even at 5-8, and eight, but you now will have momentum from the fact that you just won this week in Nashville for the first time in nine years. That's the thing. You haven't won there since 13. So now all of a sudden, if anything's going to inspire momentum, it would be that. It would be the biggest win they've had in how long if they win up there. So, so the game matters. The bottom line is the thesis statement here is the game matters. That's the bottom line is the thesis statement is that the game matters. How do they win? You stack the box, man. Derrick Henry has not had – Derrick Henry's averaged about three yards a carry the last four games. He has not had a lot of – now, he also, because they played from behind last week, hasn't had as many totes. But, listen, and Ryan Tannehill's been hurt. He's now healthy. But I think if, and if there's – Hayes, you made this point earlier. The one thing they do at least reasonably well defensively, or better than anything else, let's say that. The one thing they do better defensively than anything else they do – is they do stop the run. I think you load the box. It's linebackers and safeties, and your your nickel corners aren't all that good anyway, you know? So load the box, and if they beat you – and by the way, there's no beat you over the top guy. Robert Woods is, – is Robert Woods their best receiver now? Yes. Aging Robert Woods is their guy, right? They don't, they don't have a single player that has 360 receiving yards or more. Right. 
we're 12 games into this. Right, thing. correct. So, so the point is, I mean, really stack the box. I mean, stack it, stack it, and what happens, happens. Yeah, and, and again, if Ryan Tannehill throws for 350 yards on you, you shake his hand and you move on. Uh, but the, the last thing you can do here is have Derrick Henry run for 160 yards on you. There is no excuse. There, there's no reason that should happen. He's, a, he's cold coming in. Uh, there is absolutely no passing game to be concerned about. And I do think the Jaguars, their best defensive lineup is the three-safety lineup, what they showed against the Ravens. When they can play that kind of defense and they don't have to worry about star receivers on the perimeter or in the slot, they are a much more effective defense. It's, it's the only chance. And you hope that, you know, look, Trayvon Walker's been good against the run. He's probably not going to get you any sacks. Uh, Sunday against Tannehill, but can he be good against the run? Yes. Can Devon Hamilton, can Fadakasi, uh, can Roy Robertson-Harris be good against the run Sunday? Yes. They all have that within them to be good against the run. Aluakon can do it. Uh, I'm anxious to see what, what Muma, if he's able to play, what he can do. They've got to have Cisco. Cisco is, is vital uh, if they're going to win in Nashville. I don't think they're going to get it done, uh, but it's not because I think Tennessee is going to win 38-6. to I mean, I think it's going to be a close game because I don't think Tennessee's going to run away from them. So, I mean, I, I, it's, it's very much like what we said about the Ravens game. Look, if you can get to 24, you're going to have an excellent chance to win this game. That game ended up being a little more higher scoring than I thought. But if you're the Jaguars, if you can find your way to 21 points on Sunday, that easily might be enough. Here's the danger area, the, big, the biggest danger area for me even though this team is built entirely differently than the Lions are built. The Lions are a pass it, balance, play fast. This is a team that's going to take their time and run it at you with Derrick Henry. But your defense is reeling. You have to hope, and it's my biggest concern, you have to hope that the defense isn't shell-shocked. You have to hope that they're not looking for a standing A count. Because if they are, then all these offenses down the stretch are going to have a good time, have an easy time with them. That's, that's your danger area. Is, is your defense emotionally beat up enough now that it's going to be hard to stop anybody? And, and I don't think that's the case, but I'd be lying if I said I'm not concerned about it. I agree. If I was Doug Peterson, I'd have a very easy mandate for Mike Caldwell this week, and it would be play the simplest that we've played all year. I want this game plan to be as simple as you can make it, stop the run. If they hit us with a bunch of flea flickers and things that you didn't see coming, I'll live with that. But I do not want to see the Titans with 175 yards rushing in this yeah, game. Yeah, we, we, you know, I don't want to see Ryan Tannehill running for 60 yards like Daniel right. Jones did. Right. You know what else you don't need, Lauren? I don't need Derrick Henry stiffing arm somebody into a, stiff arming somebody into oblivion in the open field, 20 yards downfield. That's the nightmare. You can't let him get going. That's the nightmare is Derrick Henry breaks loose, gets to the second level, and stiff arms a guy uh, from Nashville to Memphis. That's what you don't want. The good news is I do believe Foye Aluakon is going to prevent that from happening. Like, I don't think he's the type of linebacker, and he's obviously the captain of this defense. I don't think he's the type of linebacker that's going to allow that to happen. I think he has the guys in the right positions and will tell them, watch out for that stiff arm, be prepared. Ryan Tannehill's only thrown for over 300 yards one time this season. Right. So I don't think that even if that is what you're challenging them to do, I don't even know that he's – capable and talented enough to do that we'll take a break uh, more jaguar talk coming up uh, throughout the day and the days but when we come back i want to talk about this portal thing and where might it be headed wow do other teams have 25 players
gone from their roster. That, that's an interesting, and again, we only follow teams around here. FSU had something similar last year, very, very similar. I think it's, it's, it's on the higher end, but I will say this. I think if, if, if you are a team, even if you're an elite team and you love your roster, I think you're going to have 10 of these every year. All right, well, and we're, I'm going to discuss that, what the numbers are. This, that's next. This is 10, 10, 7, 2.5 FM. Welcome back to the Frangie Show live here at Island Wing Company at Southside. People enjoying the Christmas decor around here. As we head into the holiday season, our Wednesdays are, as always, brought to you by the Kitchen Flooring Design Center. Frank Frangie, Hayes Carline, Andrew Gibson. I'm Lauren Brooks with you. All right, gentlemen, players in the portal. The graphic that I just pulled up shows that Virginia Tech has the most players in the portal with 11, and this would be names who have actually entered the transfer portal, not just guys putting out graphics saying uh, that they are going to enter the transfer portal. Virginia Tech leads with 11, Texas A&M with, then with 10, Clemson 9, tied with Ole Miss also at 9. And we all know Florida's got 18 that, that, are, that are going to be in the portal whether they're in it now or not. So my guess is all those other schools, the numbers are different too. So that's just officially in it. So, so here's my question. All right, so Florida's got in the roster. You know, he, yes. it's, it's clear not all 18 of those guys just want to go play in Memphis. Some of those guys, a lot of those guys, Billy said, listen, it, it's your, you're probably not going to play here. You're, you're in your best interest to move on. He the scholarships are one-year deal, so he can't move on from them. So with the, and I, did I see something the other day that there's now going to be a portal rule that if you're sec, your second school, you have to stay for a few years or they have to, they have to pay for you? Did I see that? Y'all didn't see it? I, I did not see I it. I haven't seen okay. that. That doesn't mean you didn't you see it. You kind of have to stay because – yeah. Without sitting out, you have to graduate. Right, right. that's right. So, so it's almost like you get yeah. your first free one. All right. So, so, but are we getting to where college football free agency is not just going to be quarterbacks, where teams are going to do this all the time? I mean, here's my take. By the way, real quick, players now have to enter the portal within set dates. That uh, part did that, change. That, yeah, no, that I know. That, okay. that, it's December, and then there's one spring. They window. have like a 45-day window. Yeah, right, instead of yeah. I can yeah. leave whenever yeah, I want. No, that, yeah. that I knew, but I think there's – so anyway, but – I think a coach is within his right to go talk to players that he did not recruit and say, let me, make sure, let me help you make sure you're in good academic standing. Let me make sure you're, 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 in, a, you're in a good spot. Um, let me help you with your transfer, but you probably need to move on. But is it wrong for a coach to do that with a player he recruited? Cause, cause should Nick Saban or Kirby Smart or anybody that's been there five-plus years, is it still just as right for them to move on from a guy? I, I think it is. I mean, I, I think you, again, I think it's, you phrase it differently, but I think it would be, a, you know, Johnny, what, what, what do you want to get out of the college football experience? You want to play, right? Yes, coach. Okay, okay well, if, if you want to play, if that's important to you, I don't know that it's going to happen here, uh, but I'll make any call you want me to make uh, to get you to the perfect destination, take all the time you need, we're here for you, use our facilities, you're still on the team, but... Uh, but if you want to play, it would probably be better for us to help you, you know, find a new place. And I'm totally okay with that conversation. My question is, if player says, yeah, coach, I appreciate that, but you signed me to a scholarship, I'm a legacy, I want to finish my career here at Alabama or wherever because my family's in this state and I want a degree from this university, and even if I'm just a special teams guy, I would rather not leave unless you tell me I have to. And you're and you recruited me, coach. You know, you recruited me, and I and I and I chose you. I didn't choose the previous coach. I chose you. Then what? 
then I think the coach should have them on scholarship and See, keep do them two. on special teams. I kind of do too. Well, it's I, your job to develop that player. Yeah, I, I also think this: if the player said it the way you just said it, yeah. I think the coach would be kind of fired up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because no question. Yeah. I, I hear you. You yeah. know what? You're right. A good, good point. But my point is, don't run off a guy that you recruited. If if he's done everything he's supposed to, good point. Coach would like to hear that. But um, but don't run off a guy you recruited because you were wrong. Yeah, you know? I think it, it no, all depends right on the player's the kid's attitude. A dog, that's yeah. right. If the kid's a dog and he's not working hard. Or entitled. Like, yeah, I, I, I belong or I deserve to play. Yeah, so, but anyway, so I think. so. so and, I, and, and, again, all 85 do not have to be first-round draft picks. That's right. I mean, there are guys that you keep because of what you just said. They have that mentality of they're great workers. They're never going to develop into all-conference players, but they're willing to, yeah. to give it. They're all on special teams. Yeah. Yeah. They're great in the classroom, so it helps you with the team GPA component, which matters to every university, right. every football coach cares about it. See, see let, me tell you, let me tell you the Trent Whittemore story. Dad's a coach. Dad's a coach at Buholtz. It's Buholtz, right? Dad's a coach at Buholtz. Kid's a good player. Brother's a really good player. So the younger brother is, is going to be he's, – he's Edelman, Amendola. He's good now. And so, so the kid – Finally gets to play at Florida under Mullen. He's a Florida guy. Parents went there. I think the mom played volleyball there. You know, big, okay. Well, the new coach, the, Napier's not going to play. Napier doesn't think he's very good. Even as bad, it's not just that he was behind Pearsall. He, he could have moved him to another position. This, this staff doesn't think he's very good. Or they'd have, they'd have, with that weak receiving core, if this staff thought he was any good, he wouldn't have been playing around. Correct. Right? So, so, his staff, so, so the kid says, listen, I want to be Florida. I would like to think the way that went was the kid went to the coach, and the coach said, Trent, we love you. You can stay here as long as you want. Uh, we recruited your brother. We think the world of your family. But we don't have you assessed as a guy who's going to play a lot. That, that's where we are. And then if the kid says, screw it, then we're both going to Mississippi State Fair. I hope it's not running. I'm going to run you off when somebody else – I guess that's kind of my point. Second part of it is, are we headed toward teams – or are we already there where team says, listen – we got 85 spots, okay, um, and we are losing 30 guys or whatever, 25 guys. So now we have 30, 55 spots, okay. I now want to make sure we save 10 every year for free agents. You can call them portal all you want, the free agents. I want to save of our 25 spots, 10, 10 free agents, 15 signees. Are we headed for that? It won't be that. It'll be depends on the school. Yeah, it, it'll it'll be ten free agents, and I would say a minimum of twenty signees. Okay, I still think the will signees it, it are going to be the biggest component of the process. Well, they're the you're, best players. You're, you're going to want the twenty portal. to twenty-five, to yeah. twenty to twenty-eight. Yeah. Yeah. there might be a year yeah. like Urban had a year at Florida. Will he only took like seventeen in a class? Right. Dabo's had years where Clemson doesn't. It might take nineteen. Yeah, don't mention the, his name. But yeah. <laughs> but My for the favorite. most part, I love that name. Yeah. But for the most part, these these schools are going to take twenty five to twenty eight every single Cause, year. Cause the best because players, that's where that's yeah. where you find your stars. The best players usually are never going to a portal. But, I mean, the best players are you right? I mean, the best players are you usually. There's exceptions, but for the for the I mean, there's I mean, look, Joe Burrow is a very rare exception. Yeah, but and, and, and there's a handful of Joe Burrows and Baker Mayfields and and quarter, quarterbacks are a little different animal because you can only play one, but. But usually great players you – know, take quarterbacks off the conversation. You rarely see really good players in the pool. I'm, I'm trying to think. Who are the best college football transfers ever well, there, if you a, eliminate the quarterback? There's position. a lot of guys teams missed on. 
Grenard was good. Jared Verse is good. They're, they went to smaller schools that were under-recruited, and the recruiters missed them. So right, but I'm saying like a star, like, like a, a star big, running back a, a big time that transferred. Star. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of it happening. No, I mean. It, it, it probably will now. It, it will now with the trip. Jordan yeah. Addison, the, the USC yeah, receiver, point, transferred receiver. from Penn that's State. That's a really good yeah. point. Um, and there may, yeah, I'm glad you said that. There may be I think it, the it Alabama linebacker Henry To'o To'o that came from Tennessee. now. But it's still, But yeah. did it happen Before five, NIL. ten years ago? But you're right, Lauren. Those are two great examples. Those are two great players. The running back from Georgia Tech. I never thought about a guy transferring up within Power Five. You, know, I, I, but there are a lot of. I mean, To'o, the running back, uh, Jamal uh, Gibbs, Gibbs, Jameer um, Gibbs, Jameer Gibbs. Okay. I mean, it's going to happen in in spades now. now yeah. yeah, I mean, but, but, you, but you just mentioned three guys. I, that, 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 I was wrong. I didn't think about that. But Addison, To'o, and Gibbs. That's three really good players who left to trade up. Now you've got. Trying to think, were there coaching changes with any of those? I don't think so. USC got a new coach, right? But Penn State did not. Correct. So it's not like it was one of those. Georgia situations. Tech did not, although right. the guy was on they the have, hot yeah. seat. Yeah, Tennessee did. They did. That was when. That they, was when the when coaching yeah. change. So yeah, yeah that yeah. one makes a little more sense. But anyway, so 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 and so the final thought on that is this: Are we almost going to get to a point? Stay with me on this. Where of the. 130 schools, the F, the uh, the FBS schools. 100 of them will play free agent quarterbacks at some point. Right. It was it was half last year. I think so. I mean, it was half. It was half. Last I think there's a really good you, chance. You, I mean, almost every quarterback is going to be a free agent quarterback. I mean, think and, about and from, almost every. And from that standpoint, you will have more parity in college football because there's no reason if you're a Division One school not to have okay. at least a decent All right, let's quarterback so, because no one has two. So let's go through the let's go through. Um, Kentucky played a transfer. Tennessee played a transfer. Um, South Carolina played a transfer. I'm Georgia saying, technically plays a transfer. Yeah, well, yeah, he is, but he, he, you're right. But he is, but he's not. He's not this kind of a transfer. But Tennessee, South Carolina, um, Kentucky, Florida will next year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think anybody doubts that. LSU is a transfer. LSU has played transfers. Um, Auburn had, Auburn had two transfers. He, 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 he was there the whole time. The whole time. Okay. But the, he beat out a transfer. Um, Auburn had two transfers there. A&M had a transfer in Johnson, um, who played some of the time and would have finished the season for them. Ole Miss had a transfer. I'm going through the whole league. I mean, almost almost the whole league. Uh, Arkansas didn't. Alabama didn't uh, this time around. Georgia technically didn't. I mean, did but didn't. That's... That's about it. So it seems like to me that we are headed to the world of trend, where's your second school? And I, and I just, it's just, it, so what's Florida, what really is Florida's team going to look like in that bowl game? What are they going to look like? It's going to look like a team that shouldn't be in a bowl game. It's going to be a disaster. The, the line is, I, I think it's mushroomed to 10. If you want to have a Merry Christmas, <laughs> take Oregon State and bet everything you have because they are going to beat Florida worse than Nebraska beat Florida I mean, in the Fiesta Bowl. So, the, so, so the, line, the line will be the same. The offensive line, other than O'Torrance, I'm guessing. Yeah, he's not going to play. Yeah, but other than O'Torrance. The quarterback, we assume, will be Jack Miller, but we have no idea. But I mean, we got to assume something. Both running backs will play. Mm-hmm. The receiving court, will Pearsall play? He will play. I mean, mm-hmm. if he's not we, going. We haven't heard I him. haven't seen him. We haven't heard he's not going. Is he back, by the way? Is he's he back. Okay, so 
So Pearsall. Yeah, I mean, he's welcome to come back. Yeah, yeah. It's up, I mean, he might yeah, transfer and, and again. But yeah, you, would, you wouldn't think so. He, that, has, he, was, he was treated well. Yes. The defensive guys, Dexter's out. Ventrell Miller's out. Um, Ventrell Miller's Dexter playing. is playing. And oh, so is no, Ventrell Miller decided no, to announce today he's playing, playing, yeah, in playing in the Senior Bowl, not the Las Vegas yeah, Bowl. Yeah, Miller's uh, not playing Dexter in the Dexter is playing in the Las Vegas okay, Bowl. Okay, so maybe the defense won't look all that different, which is not good. <laughs> but, 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 I mean, maybe, maybe it'll be it's – just, it's just a weird, weird world we're in. Good. And, again, back to, back to the FSU model, Mike Norvell, of all the things he did well this year, and there's so freaking many of those, one of the things he did really well this year is he mined that portal, he developed players. He did a great job, man, and that, that may be the model. He, that, unless you're Alabama or Ohio State, and maybe Florida will become that because they'll get a lot of five stars. Um, but I'll say this, one final thought on this. So I saw it today where Samson yeah. Okanoa yeah. is going to visit Florida. That, would, that would be gargantuan. He's a five-star five defensive lineman. At six offensive five. lineman. Offense or defense? Offensive he's lineman. lineman. He's, okay. a he's a tackle, yeah. Okay. So this five-star line. He's okay. a top ten player in the country. Okay. Six five three zero five. Okay. Then that may defeat kind of where I was going with this. My thinking is, do guys like that, are they more likely to consider a Florida? Because now we, I was thinking he was a defensive guy. So can I, can I consider you? Now you are going to play. Everybody says you're going to play right away. <laughs> well, we are going to play right away. Here's our roster. That's why Florida has like yeah. six defensive linemen yeah, committed correct. in and this it, class And already. is that why you get it? You know what I mean? Is that because we are – we are going to play you. So maybe the portal, maybe running guys off helps you recruit better, right? No question about yeah. it. Interesting By the way, real quick, I'm just looking at the Oregon-Oregon State box score. I love a good box score. Oregon State won with their quarterback, Ben Golbranson, throwing for 60 yards, no touchdowns, and two picks. Yeah, they have, like, quarterback issues themselves. <laughs> yeah. But they're pretty good everywhere else. And, I, again, I, I, I just – a, I don't think Florida's going to score much unless Etienne and Montreal Johnson run wild. Right. Uh, but I don't. If you're Oregon State, how do you not put 11 in the box? Uh, and then I, Florida. I mean, Florida's defense. We they're 90th in scoring defense, and they're not going to have Ventral Miller and who who knows who else. You know what you got to watch. Or, Oregon State is going to score at will, even if they have a mannequin at quarterback. You know what you got to watch out for? Ben go Branson on the quarterback draw. Yeah. Okay. It's going to be ugly. I mean, it is going to be. Whatever your expectations are for Florida and the Las Vegas Bowl, <laughs> drop them by about 10 levels down, and that's probably what you're going to have uh, to watch on December 17th. It is, I don't know the worst bowl loss Florida's ever taken. I'm assuming it's right. the Fiesta Yeah, I would bowl. assume so. Um, this is going to rival it. Right. This is a 9-3 and three team that just beat Oregon that – it has a lot of stuff going well for it in the trenches. We'll take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about Jeff Brom. Stay with us. Welcome back to the program. Glad you're with us. Hey, Carline is here. Lauren Brooks, Andrew Gibson. I'm Frank Frangie. Talk about the Gator Bowl coming up in a bit. I'm so excited for Greg McGarity and the Gator Bowl folks. I'll bet they're going to really sell a bunch of tickets in. My goodness. Perfect day. It's a Friday, 3.30 in the afternoon, right before New Year's Eve. What a perfect way to do this thing. Really excited. Absolutely. Great game. So Jeff Brom is going back to Louisville. I think that's just fantastic. It's a huge hire for Louisville. Huge hire in the right hire. He went there. He was a star there. His family's from there. Why can't we have more of that? Steve Spurrier, Kirby Smart, now Jeff Brom. I was a star at my school. You, you, were, you are Mr. Florida. You are Kirby Smart's not Mr. Georgia, but he's certainly as Georgia Bulldog as it gets. Same with Jeff Brom. It just seems so corporate that I grew up in Montana, but I'm going to coach in Alabama. 
where I grew up in New Hampshire, but I'm going to coach in Louisiana because that's the job. It just it just feels corporate, and I get it. I mean, I mean, you're trying to win, but I think we've lost something that back in the day. Old guy, old guy reference, old guy word. Oh, it's a great phrase for an old guy, by the way. If you go around saying back in the day, you're probably an old guy. But you I wanna, use it, so <laughs> you're an old I'm girl. Old. Uh, but, you, but you know what I mean? I mean, I, I, I mean, Woody Hayes was from Ohio. I don't think he went to Ohio State. He's from Ohio. Bear Bryant went to Alabama. I, I just think there should be more of that. I, I and look, it's hard because you got to find good. Not every school is going to have their good player was a good coach or one of their players was a good coach. But I just think it's really cool that I, I didn't, and I know Jeff a little bit. I haven't seen Jeff in years, but I, mean, I got to know him a little bit for a while there. I hated that he didn't go last time, but he didn't want to leave his team. I think it, I think it's I think stuff like that's great. Well, I agree, and, and I th- I think if you're an athletic director, you would always lean towards hiring the alum. If it's the if if there's it, one in play, if there's one in play, I think what I think it's just you know unfortunately. You just I just don't think you see it that often. I mean, I, I think if you went through the, the schools, the, the top college football programs, and said, okay, who would be, if their coach left, who would be their best alumni hire, I don't think that would equate to also the best hire they could make. Which is why they don't. Right. And so that's, I mean, why that, I, that's the reason. Yeah, that's why I just don't think you see it all that often. But I think if you're an athletic director and you're – Choosing between a guy that has no connection to your university or an alum, absolutely you're going to go with the alum. You'd love for that candidate to surface. I mean, you know, if if Deion Sanders wins at Colorado and Mike Norvell doesn't work out or goes somewhere else. That would be fantastic. I mean, that's a that you, you make one call. It's Deion yeah. Sanders, and he goes back home to Florida State. I would just – in like schools like Miami, I don't know what Miami player would want to be a coach. But you have, you have to understand, Miami's a different animal, man. You don't have the recruiting dollars that other schools do, yet you got the most incredibly hot recruiting hotbed of any team anywhere that's that, that you're that close to. They have that now. It's not going so well. Yeah. Well, it just got there. He just got there. But, but he's, he's a per- Chris Paul's a perfect example. Perfect hire. And I'll bet it, and I'll bet it winds up going pretty well. You know, so, um, how, but it's hard to find him. Lon Kruger. They should well, have 70 guys in the portal, by yeah, the way. Yeah, right, right. That's right. Lon Kruger, who's one of my really good friends when he was at Florida, he played at Kansas State and was a great player. I think he, I think he took him to the Final Four as a player, if I'm not mistaken. If not, he was, they were really good. Got, to, got out of college as a player, took a job at Texas Pan American, got them to the tournament. But everybody knew he would go back to Kansas State. That was always the talk. The favorite son comes home, came home in the mid-'80s, was the coach at Kansas State, and then they ran into that really good Kansas team in 88, the Danny Manning team that won the whole title, won, won the whole thing. Remember that when mm-hmm. Wayland, Wayman Tisdale was at Oklahoma? They were really good. And Kansas became the better of the two programs in the state. And Lon left because he felt like he could find bigger things in Florida than Illinois. That's one of the few times I can ever remember a guy leaving the alma mater when he had what you thought would be the dream job. Yeah, it doesn't happen. I mean, it doesn't happen very often at all. And. Sure. And the Lon Kruger example is a really stunning example because at the time he was leaving for something that wasn't built at all Correct. in Florida. That's right. That's it. But yeah, I don't, I don't think you're going to see it in football. So where do we have now? We got we got Kirby and Cristobal. Do we have any others of prominence? Are there any other jobs of pro- oh, Harbaugh? Harbaugh, right? Yep. Harbaugh, Cristobal, Smart. Are there any other jobs of prominence in, in college football? 
Were there, were there a graduate or a USC? No, uh, Notre Dame. No, Texas. No, Mike Gundy. Mike Gundy and Pat Fitzgerald are both at their alma maters. Scott Frost was. That didn't go according to plan. Good point. But I just think, isn't there if Mike Gundy? Mike Gundy's done more with Oklahoma State than any coach. It's, it's Oklahoma freaking state. Yeah. They're not uh, beating anybody. I mean, the fact that he's made him as good as he has, and, and they have stayed with him. Right. Even though he's a quirky guy, they've fought off other schools that called him. The, the Mike Gundy in Oklahoma State story is a really good story. That's kind of like, no, he didn't, no, they didn't win a championship. He's tried to leave. He, he's certainly been in the mix for some <laughs> yeah. jobs. Well, he, no, he's reached out yeah. and tried to right. get jobs. But, but, he, you know, but he has been there a long time. So that'd be an example of maybe a guy leaving his alma mater. Pat but Fitzgerald, he everybody never, never had. They all wanted, him. and now no one wants him. Yeah, but right. everybody wanted him. The NFL yeah. wanted him. You right. know, so Pat Fitzgerald. Yeah, I did forget. Um, uh, Brian Kelly, LSU. He must have gone <laughs> because he's, you know, fit. Right he sounds in. like it. He <laughs> sounds the part. But I just think there should be more of that. I think the charm of college foot—it's different in the NFL. The NFL is a business. We know it's a business. If uh. If the Colts wind up hiring Jeff Saturday, that's fine. But I, I under, that usually doesn't work. The, the, the Packers tried to hire Bart Starr, the most legendary player they had ever had, and it didn't work. I, I can see how that's harder. It, it, it's, that's a pro sport. It's mm-hmm. a business. But co- there still should be enough charm in college football that you go back and coach your college. I just love the Brom story. <clears throat> and I'll bet you in the ACC, which doesn't always offer as much resistance as other conferences, I'll bet you there's some kind of good under him. I, I think I'll so, too. I, I think that is a great move for Louisville. I think it's easier to win at Louisville than it is Purdue. And he's done a nice job at Purdue. So if you can consistently get to seven, eight wins at Purdue, mm-hmm. I think it stands to reason that you can get to eight or nine wins consistently at Louisville and maybe have the occasional you know, double-digit win season. I, I think it's, it's – yeah, I, I think if you're – you know, I mean, again, they, they're a long way from contention. Uh but I, I think this this should put Louisville in a spot where they are consistently in the upper third of the ACC. I don't know that they're, they're going to threaten Clemson and Florida State uh, in terms of the division, but they, they should finish third in that division now or better uh, the majority of the time, I would think. Yeah, if you have a winning record at Purdue, I think you're setting up uh, for success at the the next stop that you go when it is in the ACC. By the way, Florida plays Oregon State like we talked about in the Las Vegas Bowl. Jonathan Smith is the head coach of Oregon State, and that is where he went. I do not remember this, well, but that. in the 2001 Fiesta Bowl, Oregon State beat Notre Dame 41-9. He was the quarterback of Oregon okay. State. So well, there that. you have it. There that. How well, did, he's how, getting ready. First of all, how he's did, getting ready to get a big bowl victory on December seventeenth. First of all, how did you not know that? How did you not right. remember the? I, how did I not remember the two thousand one Fiesta Bowl? How did you not remember the Jonathan Smith era? Hit. <laughs> At Oregon State. By the way, there were lots of other coaches that were at their alma maters that are no longer. Give me a real. Give me a like list. Like Mark Richt at Miami. Okay, uh, that's right. Uh, we had Paul Christ at Wisconsin. Correct. Who's no longer there? Matt Luke, Ole Miss. Yeah, for a cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah uh, David Shaw, Stanford, who just resigned. I didn't know he went to Stanford. Barry Odom, Missouri. Okay, who's, just, who's about to get the Vegas job? And then there's some BYU Hawaii's. I don't think you care about. Okay, interesting. So anyway, I, th- I think it's a cool thing. I think he's going to do great there. I think the most legendary coach in Florida history was a graduate. I think the guy that is on his way to being the most legendary coach in Georgia history is a graduate. I think uh, the most legendary coach, sorry, Nick Saban, the most legendary coach in Alabama history is a graduate. And let me be clear about this. Nick Saban may turn out to be the greatest Alabama coach of all time, but he'll never be the most legendary. 
the most legendary coach of all time, and there's not a discussion about it, is is Bear Bryant. I just think there, I, I don't know, I, just, I, I miss the fact that it's like that, and I think there's a charm to the Jeff Brom thing that I think is. Developed. Is there a Florida former player that's coaching somewhere? Nah, that I thought about that. Ike Hilliard's a position coach, yeah. okay. but he just got fired yeah. at Auburn, yeah, and, and he, so he's going to have to catch on and yeah, he, become he, a coordinator. And, and There's, you know, there's so not a Florida guy in line. There's uh, Trotwine is a Troutwine. Uh, Troutwine. highly thought of assistant yeah. at Penn State, I believe. The only okay. ones that have ever been in play, Spurrier obviously got the job, so he was in play. Um Mike Malarkey was talked about from time to time, who played at Florida when he was an NFL coach. They thought, he meant, would he want to come back? But I can't think of very many guys at Florida that were ever in play enough to be in play for that job. I, I really can't. I, I, can't think of any, I can't think of anybody. I've always told you my friend Shane Matthews, if he had pursued coaching, would be that guy. Yeah, he, but, he, but he didn't pursue it. Danny Werfel's not a coach. Kerwin know. Bell never really elevated Ker- to Ker- a level. Kerwin never got to the point where he'd be in play. If Kerwin could have landed – a big-time coordinator job, if he could have landed that, and he never got one. He got, he got a lot of small school head coaching jobs. Valdosta State, JU, Western Carolina where he is now. But he never got that. He never got to call the plays at Texas. If he had ever gotten that step, then he would have won. And he's a good coach. And he is Florida all day long now. I mean, that, that guy is as gator as it gets. But he never took that next step to get the final step. There, there's steps involved, you know. I, Shane and I had this talk a lot of times. Shane and I have talked about this a bunch. Shane told me Shane Matthews was gonna, would be a really good football coach, a really good offensive mind, play caller, quarterbacks coach. But he, he said, listen, my hindrance is I wouldn't want to do it anywhere but Florida, and I know to get, to get a job at Florida, I'd have to do it somewhere else first. He said, he said I'm just being honest. I would not want to do it anywhere else. Now, now he's going to be the quarterbacks coach at one of the XFL teams, but I think the, I think the jump from that to a college football coach is enormous. You have to have recruited and been in the, been yeah, in the game. Yeah, and over. you have to move a bunch yeah. of times in order to get to that point. Let's talk Gator Bowl and more. We come back. This is ten ten XL at ninety two point five FM. The uh, our friend Greg McGarity will be by tomorrow when we're at Blue Sky. We have talked a great deal with him. I want to tip my cap to Greg McGarity. Greg McGarity, Georgia guy, went to Georgia. As Georgia as they get. Was in, the, was in the athletic department at Georgia. Took a job as the number two guy at Florida. Was there under Jeremy Foley for 18 years. Left when Georgia offered him the full-time athletic director job. Was a great athletic director. You guys have met with you, Greg. He's about as good a guy as you'll ever meet. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, Greg McGarity is about as good a person, as good an administrator, as good a leader. I, I can tell you this. I've been in this business 40 years in terms of all of it. 36 on the, or 35 on the, 36 on the radio side. 42 overall, I guess. I've never heard a negative word about Greg McGarry. And, I, and, and his name has been prominently mentioned my whole time in the business. I, I did a lot of college stuff before the, before the Jags game. And I'll give him – he did not back down. He said, listen, we've taken Indiana and Northwestern and Rutgers. And with apologies to those wonderful institutions, at some point if I'm trying to draw sell tickets to Jacksonville, Florida, enough's enough. And he fought and scrapped and clawed to get big name. Te- I say big name team teams that really fit here. He got Notre Dame, the biggest name in college football history, in South Carolina, a team that's three and a half hours from here, and the whole state's coming. They're all coming. The last guy to leave, turn out the lights because they're all coming. I want to tip my cap to Greg, and we know better than anybody else. I think 
because of how often we talked to him, how, how many times we visited with Greg about, about how important it was, and he never wavered. And you know what else I like, Hayes? He didn't, he didn't hide it. He was never a political guy. Well, you know, it doesn't matter. We, we, we respect any team we get. We support. He said, no, I want, team, I want one team from around here so I can sell tickets. I want proximity. And he got proximity and the biggest name in college football. Tip of the cap, absolute undeniable tip of the cap to Greg McGarity for making the perfect game for him happen. Yeah, I felt so uh, so good for Greg and his staff uh, seeing you know it, it finally come in because it was one of the last games that uh, was decided, and the reason was it, it was very simple. Hey, it's great for the city, but but Greg had sort of told us uh, you know when he joined us, but also even in our conversations. You know, once the segment was over, this was personal for Greg McGarry. Yeah, I mean, it was. you could tell. Yeah, it was. Whatever, whatever favors he could call in, he was calling in this year, and uh, and that this will this one was going to be a, a line is going to be drawn in the sand, and not no stone is going to be unturned to uh, to deliver the best possible matchup for the Gator Bowl, and and he delivered. I mean, I again, I I think it's. I think it's one of the best matchups in terms of it's a game that's going to be incredibly difficult to pick a winner on. And you've got two programs that both feel great about how their years ended up going. I mean, if you had told Notre Dame you're going to end up in the Gator Bowl when they were 0-2, they did on cartwheels. And obviously, South Carolina is the hottest team in the country. They just knocked, knocked off Tennessee and Clemson, two teams that are going to be playing in a New Year's Six Bowl against each other. The Gamecocks just just beat so i mean it's it's a it's a it's a fun matchup it's a matchup a that we also haven't seen i don't think south carolina and notre dame have ever played to my knowledge uh so you know that's also uh, a really fun matchup as well you've got two really uh exuberant uh up-and-coming young coaches and beamer and freeman so uh it, to me it's got you're never going to have like the prestige so you don't even you don't even consider that. But to have two teams that are ranked where they're ranked, upward mobility, young coaches, uh, a, should be a very competitive game. I, it, it, it checks all the boxes the Gator Bowl can check with how the system is set up. They have met four times before, but okay. they haven't faced each other since 1984. Right. So for most it's people while, who are paying yeah. attention, they haven't, they're not going to remember necessarily those games. Yeah, I think Greg, Mc, Greg McGarity, what he's so good at, Frank, is relationships. He, and that is where, yes, he probably had to lean on some of those to get this accomplished. Like we talked about, Brett McMurphy tweeted out that the biggest battle was between the Gator and the Holiday Bulls. I'm sure that it was a fight because the Bulls have to get every ounce of the people showing up, the heads in beds, the viewership. They have to fight for all of that. And so I'm, I'm really glad that this one, with all the hard work that they put in and to have things not go their way the last couple of years, this is, this is a huge victory for who, them. Who did the Holiday Bowl end up getting? Did they, is that where North Carolina is going? I don't know. That's a great question. I don't even know. But you're right, Lauren. I read the same thing. That was the battle. That was, and, and Greg will certainly tell us all that tomorrow. Uh, now, that, now that it's all the haze in the barn, you can certainly tell us how how it all got there. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait for the behind the scenes stories. Yeah, but but yeah, this was the the I mean Carolina and Oregon, North Carolina and Oregon. Yeah, okay. so, yeah. So that so that's the that's the perfect game. Well, and, and again, the Gator Bowl can't take North Carolina yes. if they have South Carolina. Correct, and I think that was part of his leverage. And uh, and again, South Carolina apparently too really wanted to come here. I mean, South Carolina preferred here, from what I'm told, 
to Tampa or Orlando. So South Carolina weighed in too. You know, Ray Tanner said, listen, I, I mean, and I assume Shane too, but Ray Tanner said, we want to go to Jacksonville. I'm sure Shane Beamer said we want to go to Jacksonville. So I know that for a fact. Notre Dame, I don't know. I don't know how what happened to land Notre Dame, but I, but I love that they're here. I, I, again, that's a, just a wonderful matchup. I, I wonder, and, and everybody, look, FSU South Carolina would have been the home run of all home runs from an attendance standpoint. But to get attendance and ratings, and of course FSU gets good ratings, but it's, nobody gets Notre Dame ratings. So, so yeah, this is a this is a really nice game. I think they will have sixty five thousand seats available, and I'll bet you they sell close to that. I can tell you they weren't going to open the upper bowl, and now they're going to. Right. Yeah, and, and all that, and I can I can tell you say no more. I mean that yeah. that that says yeah. it all right there. Yeah, and they're, I mean. they're they weren't going to, and now they're going to. So. And, uh, and they think they will sell enough tickets to have it open. That's the nice thing. They think they'll sell enough tickets to have it open. So who knows what that is. Like it's a great day. That should sell tickets locally. It's Friday It's Friday at 3.30. If it's Friday at 3.30, the day before New Year's Eve, I'm guessing the people that do work that day are done working before 3.30. You know, there may yeah, be take some, a half day. There may be some half day. Well, I'm, but I'm, I'll bet you... Without the game, there would have been sure. Some of that. The week after Christmas, I think most employers know is not an extraordinarily productive week. That's Probably right. right before Christmas and right yeah. after Christmas. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. So I, I, I'm, I'm happy for the game. As for the game itself, this could be another starting point, Hayes, for South Carolina. South Carolina was pretty good. Now Florida laid it to them, but for the most part, during most games this year, they were pretty good. They did beat Clemson and Tennessee at the end of the season, and I mean, smash Tennessee. So you beat Tennessee and Clemson. To your point, you made a moment ago. You beat Tennessee and Clemson at the end. You get Tennessee, Clemson, and Notre Dame. You take them all out in the last month of the season. Oh, what an offseason you're going to have. Yeah, you're going from probably 19th to 14th in the final rankings. Again, for South Carolina, you finish the season top 15 in the rankings. That's an unbelievable year for that program. I'm sure Spurrier did that. Uh, on multiple occasions, but it has not happened often right. uh, for South Carolina, and, and that's what they're looking at. If they beat Notre Dame and they finish the season with those three victories, there's no reason to think, no matter what happens in the other bowl games, that they won't find themselves inside the top 15, which, again, goes to next year, preseason for South Carolina, you're probably ranked. You're probably picked third in the East, you know, behind – Georgia and Tennessee. It's probably Georgia, Tennessee, South Carolina. And I'm trying to remember this year it was Georgia, t- was it Tennessee second and South Carolina third before Florida? In the SEC media days? I think Kentucky, Kentucky. might have been. That's right, Kentucky. Kentucky so South Carolina would have been behind Florida. Yeah, Kentucky third, Florida fourth. Yeah, I think if you finish strong, you could absolutely finish third. And now Spencer Rattler, obviously I said he was leaving. I was wrong. I don't know where I read that. But is he coming back or is he going to the draft? What's Spencer Rattler going to do? What, what's his story? I haven't seen him announce that he's leaving for the yeah, draft. I saw Will Levis today announce that. Right, and he has announced that. I think he's got to come back. But, I mean, I, I, I would be shocked if he enters the draft. I mean, he's 22. So that's very young for quarterbacks these days. Yeah, he's yeah. 22. Uh, he played it. He, 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 so 2019, he, was, he, went to, he went to Oklahoma. He played Oklahoma in, in 20 and 21, but he was benched in 21. So he's played really two seasons at Oklahoma. He, he played a handful. He, he threw 11 passes in 19. He didn't really play. 2020, he was the Oklahoma quarterback. He started all 11. Or he started 11 games that he played in at Oklahoma and had a 9-2 record. 
got benched in 21, even though he's 6-0 and as a starter. He got benched at the end of the year, which sent him to Carolina. He could come out. He could, I mean, here's a guy now that, is, that has been a full t- full-time starter twice in college football and a part-time starter. Well, he's had two and a half years of starting. You, you think about it. This is a guy now that has had 28 career starts in college. He could, I'll bet you he comes. What do you think? I'll bet he comes out. I bet you he returns. You think, what do you think, Warren? I think he returns because of the fact that he is definitely playing in the Gator Bowl. Most of the quarterbacks are who yeah, are going point. to enter the draft are not going to play in the bowl game good point. unless it's obviously a, a bowl game for the national championship. So I would guess that he's coming back. Plus, I would also guess that he's not hearing come out. Yeah, and, I'll, you, and I'll, you need another year. And I'll say this: if he does come back, then watch out for South Carolina. I mean, if he if he does come back, I would keep an eye on South. Carolina. I mean, they might they might to your point a minute ago about where they'd be picked in the SEC. Beyond that, they might be pretty good. Uh, apart from where they picked in July, you know what I mean? That they, and I kind of like him, by the way. I like Beamer. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting Beamer on the air. We had him on the air. Matt and I had him on the air in Atlanta, and he's a good dude. He's, he's down to earth. He's the guy that you talk about the coach that doesn't take himself too seriously. He's really that guy. He's going to be interesting to see if, what if he, does. he stays at South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. well, the reality is. If he puts is, up a 9-3 and three next year, there could be, I mean, he could be in line for, like, Texas. Yeah, you're, he, and look. South Carolina is not – whether South Carolina people like it or not, it's not the last job. No. South Carolina is not the last job for, 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 for very many coaches. The, uh, so we'll see. And, and, look, by the way, Deion Sanders said the, most perf- said the perfect thing when he, when he talked to his team about leaving. He said, as a head coach, you get terminated or elevated. That's it. Is that right? I mean, think about it. I mean, Nick, yeah. Saban, and Nick, Nick Saban and Kirby Smart are exceptions. But for the most part, yeah, you you rarely get to hit cruise control at, at you know the spot that you're at. It just it's the nature of the business. Um, I mean, there there are more than just those two, but it's you know it, it it's tough. And so yeah, I would think if you're South Carolina and Shane Beamer keeps this up, you're going to have a fight on your hands to keep him. And by the way, if Spencer, now that Spencer Spinner just texted me too, you're right, Lauren. He's going to play in the game. If Spencer Rattler is playing in the game. And Drew Pine is not. And that means Tyler Buckner will play. But but it also but it's the guy that hadn't played in a while, I think. So it also means South Carolina might win that game. You, I mean, is there a line out? I'm sure. Uh, yes. But it's uh, five. Notre, I think. Notre Dame five. I think Notre Dame's a five point favorite. Yeah, but I'll bet you. You know what? South Carolina's got their quarterback. We'll see. It'll be fun to watch. No question about it. We'll take a break. We'll talk a little hardball. Aaron Judge has made a decision. That and a whole lot more when we continue. This is 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Always a Kitchen and Flooring Design Center Wednesday here on the Frangie Show. Today is a very good day for Billy Napier, gentlemen. And Hayes Carlion. And all Gator fans. And Gator fans elsewhere. Absolutely. Uh, Billy Napier just landed 2024 quarterback T.J. Lagway. He is, a, of course, dual-threat quarterback because pretty much all quarterbacks nowadays are. And he is Florida's highest-ranked QB commit since Jeff, Jeff Driscoll in 2011. How about that? So he's going to be a real – so Lagway I'll just – I'll be surprised if he doesn't win three Heisman trophies. The D.J. Lagway is committed to Florida. And I did not – again, I don't follow it as close. I didn't realize today was the day. Today was Lagway day. But I, uh, I just so, thought it was at four o'clock. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. So I guess he moved it back. So, but then that's, so they're going to have Rashada for this year, correct? And so, then, and who's a high? Who's he's highly recruited, right? Correct. And then Lagway for so next this year. So this year it's Portal, or in twenty twenty three it'll be Portal veteran right, starter. Right. Rashada is probably the top backup. 
And then in 2024, it will be Rashada versus Lagway. Okay. I think without having to go into the portal. Yeah, I am. Is, is ideally how you would have it. You got and he had his list to follow. You guys are over the moon excited. Oh, I'm yeah. pretty excited. I got a little bit of mixed feelings. I'm mostly excited. I mean, Dabo didn't get him, and that hurts me a little bit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, but, but I mean, other, other, other than Dabo and I, I mean, that, so I got to live with that. But I mean, other than that, yeah. other than that, yeah. How long is this going to last? <laughs> If I make fun uh, of myself, that's one thing. Um, the, uh, yeah, the it's it, well. It's again, we talk about this anytime a, a quarterback commits, but to do it this early, a year before he's going to sign, if DJ Lagway holds, and you have to assume that he does, if he holds, this is the Pied Piper effect for Florida in 2024. Their class before Lagway's commitment was, I think, 14th uh, on the 24/7 Sports Composite rankings for 2024. I, I got to think adding right. a five-star quarterback is going to uh, really elevate that. Obviously, it's so, very not very many schools have more than four or right. five commits at this point. Um, so don't pay a ton of attention to the rankings. But what Lagway does in, in adding him is now it makes it that much easier to go recruit the five-star offensive lineman, the five-star well, running back, and let me, and the five-star tight end, the five-star receiver. And let me tell you, and let me tell you, let me give you an illustration of that story. Florida lost under Zook to it was either it was either the one they lost to Iowa or the one they lost to Michigan. It was one of the losses in a bowl. I don't it was remember. Iowa. It was Iowa. Okay, they lost to Iowa. And uh, I called Zook maybe the next morning. You all right? Well, no, but it's about to get better. And I said, uh, "Do you?" Remember? I've told you the story before, by the way. I said, "It's about to get better." I said, well, well things, are about to, things are going to change about noon today. And I uh, said, you getting Chris Leak? He said, oh, pay attention. Just keep watching. And, uh, when, and uh, before Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. He, he said, about noon today. He said, I said, oh, okay, I assume that means you're getting Leak. So we got Leak. So I talked to him again, like right after. He said, Frank, this will be – and nobody understood recruiting better than Zook. Whether you liked him or not, nobody, nobody knew that game better than he did. He said, this will be – the launch point. He said, we now will recruit a national championship roster. Now, me, being media guy, thinking, Rondo's national championship is kind of hard to come by. He, so I didn't say that. I mean, I'm not going to say that and have him yell at me. You know, but but you, know, you know what I mean? My thought was, we'll see if it's, you know. And that was the launch point to Andre Caldwell, Chad Jackson, Earl Everett, Jarvis Moss, Derek Harvey, Marcus Thomas, Joe Cohen, Reggie Nelson. I'm going off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. You, that's the group. I just went yeah. off a bunch of guys that played in the National Football League. And that was the group. That was the foundation. That was the first domino to a national championship. That, that's right. And, 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 the guys I, and they all came. The guys I just ran off, the seven or eight guys I just ran off, weren't coming until they knew if Leak was coming. I mean, I can tell you definitively, they weren't coming until they knew Leak was coming. Mm-hmm. And Leak came, and then they all came. And that doesn't mean it's always going to have that same Pied Piper effect, but it certainly did that. Yeah, and, and this will as well. Uh, DJ Lagway is is very well respected uh, among prospects. Everybody knows, you know, what kind of a player he is. Uh, he's an unbelievable runner. Uh, so it's really exciting, I think, when you take Billy Napier, what he's been able to do on the ground with Etienne and Montrell Johnson. Uh, I think you're going to see that. Those are special players. But I think Florida going forward is always going to have really productive running backs. You factor in a player like Lagway, who is more than a willing runner. He looks to run first. 
throw second with his explosiveness, right. I, I think it's uh, it, it really makes Florida's ground attack potent potentially uh, moving forward once he gets to campus. Again, we're we're, we're 2024 uh, before DJ Lagway puts on the uniform and plays in a game. But again, now you've got a full year where DJ Lagway is telling other prospects, come with me to Florida. Let's make it happen at Florida. Let, you know, let's go be great for the Gators. And that resonates so much uh, on the recruiting trail. So it's, it's, a, it's by far the biggest recruiting win that Billy Napier has had so far. It's bigger than anything Dan Mullen ever did. It's bigger than anything Jim McElwain ever did on the recruiting trail. And it's bigger than anything Will Muschamp ever did on the recruiting trail. Uh, because Lagway will have, uh, I think, more hype than Driscoll did. Uh, this, this is right up there. I mean, I, I would put this as this is the biggest quarterback commit that they've gotten since Tebow. Yeah, and this would be, I just saw, the highest rated QB's, uh, QB signees in consecutive classes since Tebow and Cam Newton. Obviously, way back in 06 and 07 between Rashada and now Lagway. He picked Florida over Baylor, Texas A&M, USC, and Clemson. So not over, say, Alabama and Georgia, but certainly over some really good schools. Yeah, USC Alabama and Clemson were the top two. But so I'll bet Alabama the, and Georgia And he's from it. Texas, yeah, so right, right, Baylor. Right, and that, right. But that doesn't mean the sense. Alabama and Georgia of the world and the highest states didn't want him. Sure. They may not have, but it do, that doesn't necessarily mean they – it might have mean – he might mean he eliminated them and got it down to another five. And I think if you're – again, if you're Billy Napier, to be able to – to pull this kid from Dabo Swinney, who's got such an unbelievable track record of, of quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, you look at, well, obviously, Lincoln Riley is right now the gold standard in right. that in college football. Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, he might have a, another Heisman winner come Saturday night in Caleb Williams. Well, uh, and, and it all sets up for USC. Caleb Williams is your starter in 2023. He goes to the NFL. DJ Lagway in 2024. Same thing with, I would think, Clemson, although Klubnik's in his first year there. Yeah. So maybe if For maybe true. that didn't line up quite so well. Cause, uh, and that might have helped the cause. It, that might have helped the cause yeah. with yeah. Clemson. And certainly if you're a quarterback, Klubinick why would you go to Georgia? could be the quarterback yeah. in yeah. 25. Right. But and, and because they have quarterbacks from now until 2030, it feels like, yeah, at Georgia. It does feel like that. The, uh, it's a gigantic get. I mean, maybe, yeah, the, yeah. maybe he never does anything at Florida. All right. Uh, but for the here and now, it right. is a garg- it, This is the be- This is better than beating Utah. Yeah, th- I mean, th- this is th- today yeah. is the best day of of the year yeah. for Florida football. And, and make no mistake about this, they he did not get off to as good a start in this realm as Mario Cristobal did. He didn't. Kermani uh, McLean's going there. He's the number two guy in the whole country this year. So he needed this one. But as he gets this one, that's why you hired him. Today's why you hired him. Cormani McLean is why, despite whatever Miami did this year, Cormani McLean, the number two overall player in the country, is the cornerback that went there. That's why they hired Cristobal. And they, now there's a rumor he might flip to Alabama. Is that, but, so that Miami well, might lose him. But I didn't know that. But yeah. you see, my, my point is there's, there's a reason you hire. Billy Napier was hired to get DJ Lagway to come to Florida because, to, to both y'all's points, Hazier's uh, most recently, other coaches weren't doing that. that the, their predecessors weren't doing that. So you would think that this news would come on the heels of Anthony Richardson having a sensational year under Billy Napier great point. and leading the team to great heights and, and then entering the NFL draft. I wonder, does he just believe Billy Napier is the guy for me no matter what, and AR's lack of success has nothing to do with what, how I'm going to do there. 
Yeah, that's a really good point because you would have thought that let me be the next AR. Well, that's not what this is because the, the, the AR was good. He was good. He'll, he'll, be, he'll be turns out to be a good pro. But he certainly didn't, to your point, Lauren, he didn't have the season that I want to be the next him. Right. No, Caleb Williams certainly had that yeah, season. Yeah, so, uh, so, so yeah. So, so good day for the Gators. Quickly to baseball before we go to Mike Keith. Gibby, are you surprised by the Aaron Judge? Do you think that all along, or do you think he was headed to San Francisco? No, I thought there's no way the Yankees could have let him go. Uh, there were a lot of people that thought the Giants, um, John Heyman tweeted that it looks like the, the Giants are going to get him, and he deleted his tweet yesterday. I, I thought the whole time there's no chance the Yankees are going to let Aaron Judge, a guy that they brought up through their system, a guy they drafted, a guy that is the star in baseball, there's no way they let him go, and they didn't. They, they gave him $40 million a year, and they signed him to a long-term deal. Do you care? I'm not joking aside. I'm not kidding you about your baseball. I'm, I'm asking a serious question. Did you care where Aaron Judge landed? Did I care? Yeah. No. Do you care, Lauren? You got, you're, you're I pay attention, sure. I mean, it, emotionally, no, not necessarily. But for the sport of baseball, I think it matters that he stayed with the Yankees. Do you think people rooted against that just because they don't like the Yankees? Yes. General, general oh, populace? Sure. Absolutely. I'm really glad he stayed because I think Aaron Judge – I think Aaron Judge should retire as a New York Yankee, wearing number 99 in pinstripes. I, and nobody does that anymore. I understand. Nobody does it anymore. But I, I, I would have loved Andrew McCutcheon, who was the Pirates' Aaron Judge. He's not Aaron Judge, but he, I would have loved him to retire, that, to never leave that number 22 jersey in Pittsburgh. I, 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 and, and, again, that's old school thinking. I, nobody thinks that way. I, I give you know, I told you this. I don't care anything about the Braves either way. I really wanted Freddie Freeman to continue as a Brave. I, and, I, Gibby, I told you that. I really wanted yeah. I really wanted Freddie Freeman. And I don't care either way about the, winning and losing. It has nothing to do with it. Sure. I, I, I like the fact that guys finish their careers there like, 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 like they used to be. I don't want to be old, get off my lawn. I'm not trying to be that. I'm just telling you as a fan, there's a romance to it, and there's a romance to Aaron Judge continuing on as a Yankee. Uh, money aside, do you think this was the best choice for him winning-wise? That's a great question. I probably have to look at more what the Giants have in play. The Padres are the other team that would. Yeah, I do. Because I still think ultimately, ultimately the uh, the evil empire will find its way back. It's not like they were lousy this year. The Astros were just better than everybody, you know. So I, uh, yeah, I do. I do. It's the best place. Marketing money. He obviously likes it. He, there's a comfort level. Um, here's the interesting thing too. Aaron Boone is supposed to be on the hot seat, Hayes, but but Judge really likes him, you know. Aaron likes Aaron. So I wonder, I wonder if a move like that solidifies the manager who some think should be out the door. You think he gave him the Hoosier speech? <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, yeah. I play Coach Stays. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know what? Probably not exactly that. <laughs> but, I, but I do think the fact that I think it helps Aaron Boone. I do think I do think it helps. Sure. Him. I think it helps Aaron Boone because I know he likes him. So, uh, plus Gibby, he's good, so that yeah, helps yeah. you in general. Also, yeah, yeah. Gibby, I'm glad that he's staying. I, I don't. You, do you have a feeling either way about that? No, I, I thought I felt like it would feel it would feel wrong if yeah. Judge had left yeah. the Yankees. That's what I yeah. felt. And to Lawrence's question about is this a place where he's going to win? I, I think absolutely. You know, the Red Sox are rebuilding. The Rays are always going to be there. The Orioles continually rebuild every single year. And you look at where he might have gone with the Giants. The Dodgers are loaded. The Padres are loaded. The Giants are pretty good themselves. So I think, uh, yeah, I think the yeah, Yankees good. staying good there point. is a pretty good, pretty good spot. Gibby made a great point. The Red Sox are rebuilding, and the Orioles and the Rays and even the Blue Jays are never going to beat good Yankee teams. They're never going to have enough resources to beat the good Yankee team. So 
Only the Red Sox would be that. Whereas you go to the Giants, the Dodgers are going to have more resources than you, and the and the Padres right now have as many resources. Where I don't know where that money's coming from, but they have as many resources as anybody right now. So we'll see. Let's get it back to Jaguars Titans football. After this, we'll take a break. My friend Mike Keith is the terrific play-by-play voice of the Tennessee Titans. He joins me after this to talk Jags Titans. Stay with us. This is a good football team now, um, and our guys better be better be prepared and ready to go. Um, they're they're well coached, you know. Um, I know Vrabel well, you know, and they feed off of him and his uh, his excitement and enthusiasm. And you know, it's a disciplined group, and um, it's very much like that Baltimore type game. It's going to be a sixty minute, you know, football game. It's going to be a physical football game, and and uh, our guys, uh, you know, need to understand that. Now, hello, another great guest on the Farah and Farah phone line. Brought to you by the Accident Attorneys at Farah and Farah. All right, welcome back to the program. Time now to talk Jags and uh, Tennessee Titans with one of my real good buddies in the business. The uh, terrific play-by-play voice of the Tennessee Titans is Mike Keith. Mike, how you doing, man? I'm doing okay, Frank. It's good to be with you. It has been an interesting week so far in Nashville. Yeah, yeah, for all of us too here. But uh, yeah, and I wanted to talk about, uh, as you and I have earlier in the week, the the fact that these teams are playing later than they normally do for the first time. But ah, yeah, the new, the new. Let's not bury the lead here. Were you surprised by the John Robinson stuff? Uh, Were people there surprised? We were. Uh, Give me the background on that a bit. Everybody was shocked. Totally shocked. Uh, because we did not know that ownership had been considering this because obviously without trying to be a smart aleck ownership doesn't consult with us on things like this so but this had been under consideration for some period of time and uh, i think the decision had been made a few days ago Uh, amy adams strunk normally what she has done in the past when she has made these decisions is she will come to a conclusion, wait a week to let the emotion go from it, and then make sure that's what she wants to do, and then she does it. And she pulled the trigger because she feels like the organization needed a new set of eyes, a new voice on personnel, and she's doing it right now, not so much for the now. You know, there because of the timing of everything, people are saying, why now? Well, Here's the rationale. She wants to make sure she does a full and thorough search. And then she has this person, a new general manager and whomever will be on his team in place to get started with not only the senior bowl and combine, but everything in between. And the other point, too, is the Titans are very up against it with the salary cap. Frank, they will have to make more big decisions about veteran players than they probably have in nearly 20 years. I mean, it's a a who's who of people that they're going to have to decide, do we extend them? Do we cut them? Do we, you know, do we do pay cuts? You know, how do we how do we do it? And I think for that reason, she felt like this new person had to be in place with plenty of time and information in order to make the decision. So. Getting the information after the fact about what the rationale was, it it makes sense as far as the timing. It certainly didn't at the moment that it hit. Mike, there's a lot of conversation. It was a power struggle between Vrabel and John. And again, if I'm talking, asking out of turn, tell me. But is there something there to that? Is that is there any truth there? I don't think there appears to be. Um, I'm certain, you know, listen, I've, I've never been around head coaches and GMs who didn't butt heads right. about guys. That's you right. know, there are different opinions. But for the most part, 
they they have very much been in sync because John is a former college football coach. And so he has always taken Mike's opinion and the opinion of the coaching staff very much into what his thoughts were. He, he has always wanted to give Mike Vrabel the team that he wanted. Um, so, I, I mean, is this a palace coup? I mean, if it is, it's as well hidden as anything that I've seen. And here's the other part of it, too. Vrabel doesn't do drama. He really doesn't. So, I mean, for for him to take the time to do what you would have to do to do that, you know, the palace coup thing, it, it just doesn't fit his M.O. So, again, if there's evidence of that, I, I haven't seen it. Now, again, like I said about being consulted, I'm not privy to everything, but you know, you've seen Vrabel from the outside. You know, mm-hmm. you've played against him. You know, you probably get the same impression I do. He is the he's the no drama guy. Right. So so going deep into that, like how those situations usually play out, secretly meeting with people, emailing everyone, texting everyone, uh, not really his MO. Truly not his MO. Yeah, no, I, and I, I've told you this before, how impressed I am with Mike Vrabel. I think he's one of the best coaches in the league. Tough guy. I think players respect him, which I think is so freaking important these days. No, I'm a, I hear you, so I, I agree with that. Let's move on to the team. The team's played very well, lost two games in a row, but to very good teams. But last one got away from them. That doesn't happen with the Tennessee Titans very often. The, uh, the, the, the amount of time the Tennessee Titans lose by three touchdowns, gosh, in the times I've been calling these games, almost never – Got away from him a little bit in Philadelphia. Derrick Henry wasn't able to get much going on the ground. How did you see that game, Mike? Well, it was a matchup that the Titans were very much in, Frank, uh, into the, I guess, the last five minutes of the second quarter. And they in a 14-7 game, they had a third and one at the Philly eight. And the left tackle, uh, Daly, jumps off sides. Okay. And so, and so then you have a third and six. You take a sack, you have to kick a field goal there, and suddenly it's 14-10. And it was the weirdest thing, Frank, because I had the feeling at that moment, we've just lost this ball game. Hmm. And, hmm. and, you know, I'm no psychic or genius or football coach or whatever, but there are certain moments when you're in a stadium where you know to stay in the game, you've got to trade blow for blow. And when they couldn't tie the game right there, when they made that mental mistake, it started to get away from them. And it really did. It, it, it did at that point. And the second half was as rough as the Buffalo second half from week two. Uh, the Titans have, have been, you know, really hammered in two games this year, Philadelphia and Buffalo. This is not a team built for a big comeback. This is not a team built for five wide. This is a team that has had offensive line difficulties in large part due to injury. And so falling behind is the worst thing this club can do. And when they get, you know, 14, 17 points down, it's going to be hard to bounce back. Let me ask you about the two key guys. Obviously, Derek Henry, we, we follow him very closely around here. He's already over 1,000 yards, a couple of games that weren't as good of late. Uh, how's he played? And tell me about Ryan Tannehill, too. Obviously, people don't respect him as much as I think they should. I think he's a good player, and I think he's been the perfect leader for Tennessee in these recent years. I know Malik Willis had to play a little bit earlier in the season. How have those two guys played? Where are Derek and Ryan in your mind is where they typically are? Well, so Henry has 75 carries in the last four games for just 208 yards. Right. So he's averaging less than three yards a carry in the last four games. 
the good news for the Titans is he's fresh. He hasn't been running 40 times a game. So it's there. The bad news is the Titans have been unable to get him going. And because they faced second and longs and third and longs, they haven't been able to stay with him. Like they, you know, a lot of times in the first half, it takes him a while to get going. A lot of backs are like that in this league. But the Titans have been in such tough situations. Derek is not a third down back. Everybody knows that. And when he comes out of the game, when he has to come out of the game, well, you know, that's obviously one less opportunity for him to touch the football, which is never good for the Tennessee Titans. So the feeling is they've got to find a way to get him going. Is he healthy? Yes. Has he lost a step? No. He's early in the season. He was fantastic. It's just been the last four games. The line has not gotten enough push to help him. And I think at times maybe he's gotten a little frustrated and that's been hard for him to you know, to kind of get those get those runs and hit every hole perfectly. They need to get him in a rhythm and get him patient. Uh, Tannehill's played well. Tannehill has been the 2019-2020 Tannehill, mm-hmm. not the guy from last year. The problem for Tannehill, high ankle sprain. that cost him two games. He's just now coming back from it. Uh, obviously, he has had some offensive line problems, too. And then to lose Traylon Burks early in that game was a big deal because Traylon Burks has given the Titans now the downfield weapon, the threat. And suddenly Nick Westbrook-Akine and Robert Woods and the tight ends have, have started to find it as well. So when he has a guy like Burks who can really run and can make big plays with his hands on the football, you know, this offense is a lot better for Tannehill. When he's not in there, it's tougher. You and I talked about this earlier, Mike. Mike Keith with us, the play-by-play voice of the Titans. It's weird that the Jags and the Titans aren't playing until December, isn't it? They, they don't. This has never happened. You and I were trying to look back. I don't think it's ever happened. And now they play twice in the last five weeks. Uh, weird, weird stuff, isn't it? It really is. And, you know, it. I think it's a result of having two – mid to small market teams, wherever you want to classify our organizations in terms of the market sizes. But we kind of get thrown into the blender a little bit, I think, uh, after all the national games are done and they've you know put the Dallas Cowboys on 18 times in prime time or whatever it is. That's right. <laughs> um, you know, they, they kind of fit in the pieces everywhere else. Uh, it's just like our situation, much like yours, we played Indianapolis twice very quickly. Yep. And we're done with Indianapolis, as as are the Jags. Um, it's just an unusual fluke in the whole thing. And for us, it's been interesting because I haven't even seen the Jags that much this season, you know, because of when our game times have been and when your game times have been. And so uh, it's a little bit like having to learn a new team. It's clearly a lot better team. And that's the part of it that, you know, when I've watched the Jaguars and, and have been studying even more this week, you can see the level of talent is vastly different than it has been in years past. You know, it's funny, Mike, you, you and I had this talk. I, I've, I've done this a long time. The, there's not many times I've felt like this team was better than its record. You know, I mean, as a play-by-play guy, I'm not going to say that, but there's not a lot of times I feel like we're better than our record. Usually you are what the record says you are, as Bill Parcells once said. This team's better than the record, and, and it's interesting right. that you've noticed that, and, and I'm guessing people in the Titans brass have noticed it as well. Oh, they totally get it. I mean, because you you look at the way Trevor Lawrence is playing, you look at the dimension Travis Etienne has given them, you look at the consistency of the receivers. Kirk and Jones have certainly stepped up. 
Uh, Evan Ingram had one of the best games of his career against us when he played for the Giants. So we have a lot of respect for him. And then defensively, some of that young talent, which I mean, clearly is going to get nothing but better. So you, you see where the Jags are. I would have thought the record would have been a little better right now. I, I told people I thought this was a team that it could contend for the seventh playoff spot. And in reality, is still contending for the fourth playoff spot. Because if the Jags can get hot down the stretch, or you win your last five, you will have beaten Tennessee twice. And that means you probably win the division. So there's a lot on the line in this ball game, And the, the Titans certainly understand it as they get back to work and, and try to figure out what they need to do better to have a chance to win. Yeah, and, and I think it's that kind of a game. I know around here, even though you're sitting at 4-8, and eight, I, I know that's what Doug Peterson has said. He said, listen, win all your games, you're in. You, forget, sure. the, forget the record, win the games, you're in. So you still kind of control it a little bit, which around here we haven't controlled our destiny in December very often. You know, so Well, and that's, the, and that's where the Titans are too. I mean, yeah. if you win this week, this is clearly the biggest game of the year for the Titans so far. Right. Because if you win this week, you put yourself in a fabulous position to win the division. So, And, and people would say, no, you're 7-5. and five. Why would you talk like that? Because that's what you do. The whole thing is get in the tournament. Doesn't matter how you get in the tournament. Doesn't matter what you do to get in the tournament. The whole thing is get in the tournament. And the Jaguars still have that possibility. The Titans have that possibility. And when you have that in December, it it lends a different part of it that, you know, some teams have better shots than others. But, you know, there's nobody here going to apologize if the Titans win the division and don't have as good a record as they had last year. You still get to wear a T-shirt, right? You still right. get to that's buy right. a hat, and and that's what it's all about. Exactly right. Getting the tournament in that game, and that's why this game means an awful lot. Mike Keith, the play-by-play voice of the Tennessee Titans, a great friend and does a great job. Mike, we appreciate it, man. Take care. Look forward to Thanks, seeing you on Frank. Sunday. I'll see you. All right. Uh, that'll be more in a moment on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Frank Franzi, Hayes Carly, and Lauren Brooks with you. Thanks for joining us on the program. Big news, by the way. We're going to Gainesville and talking to someone who's not in the portal. That's big news. My wow. friend Chris Harry joins us. Chris, you're not in the portal yet, right? Isn't that the deal? Uh, I, I, but I don't know if I'm going to play in the bowl game, though. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Get it. Hey, man, good to talk to you. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for spending some time with us. Hey, I got a lot of questions about the new basketball regime. I'm excited about it. But, Chris, I don't know what to think yet. Tell me about Todd Golden. You've obviously gotten to know him now what kind of person he is. He seems like a guy that, that connects with these guys. A big picture here. What do you think of the, kind of the new regime and how this thing started? Well, I think he's kind of finding his way a little bit, Frank, just because, you know, you're a guy who he's basically a West Coast guy, uh, grew up in Arizona, went to school at St. Mary's, uh, you know, most of his coaching time. You know, he's, he actually was in the business sector for a little bit, got into coaching because he knew some guys, some guys he had played with. Um Yes, he had two years in the SEC, one as a dough, as a uh, basketball ops guy and then as an assistant coach for Pearl. But then he was, he was he was on the West Coast the last six years. So he's kind of feeling his way a little bit. But I, I will say he's very, very smart, um, very, very confident. And you mentioned uh, his ability to connect with guys. I think the relationship piece is, is just paramount in this, in this, in this uh, day and age of, of just being around guys and guys being able to up and go whenever they please. Um, it it hasn't it, it hasn't been perfect so far. I mean, that was a the the, the West Virginia loss in the last game in, in Portland was uh, of a historic variety. I mean, it was the worst loss in in 24 years by 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 a Florida basketball team.
team. I'll also say I was at that game, and I had more people at intramural games when I was playing basketball in college than there were at that game. So it wasn't like this great environment or what have you, but they've played three pretty good teams so far, Frank, Florida, Atlantic, uh, Xavier, and West Virginia, and, they have, and they're 0-3 against those teams. They have a chance tonight. They got a bunch of gr- really good teams on the schedule from here on out. There's, we we don't really know. You know, there, there's there's still plenty of time to make some hay. But uh, this this is a huge opportunity tonight. They played pretty well the last two games against two bad teams. Uh, Todd Golden is expecting his team to play much better tonight. They're going to have to if they have any chance to be a UConn team that I don't think has any weaknesses. I don't think the Florida coaching staff uh, thinks they do either. Chris, what is the path to victory tonight against a UConn team that right now in the net rankings is, is second in the country? Second in the country, fifth in the, in the polls. They're unbeaten. They've beaten, they're 9-0. and They've won every game by double digits. Uh, they won the, the, there were two tournaments out in Portland. Um, uh, they, won, they, they beat Oregon by 15. I think they beat Alabama by 17. We saw what Alabama did, North, beat North Carolina in quadruple overtime or whatever. And then they ended up winning that tournament on that side uh, uh, by trying to think who they beat. Iowa State in the final. Then they beat Oklahoma State by 10. So what's the, what's the, what's the answer? It's transition defense, transition defense, transition defense, because that's where this team has been terrible at this year. In fact, the word Todd Golden used last week was atrocious. Uh, uh, now, having said that, Stetson, believe it or not, was the 16th best three-point shooting team in the country. They came in here the other day, Sunday. They beat them by 38. But more importantly than that, and then going back to the FAMU game before that, they were where they were supposed to be in transition situations. So uh, they're going to have to be in this game uh, because Connecticut is a prolific three-point shooting team. They average, I think, 25.3 a game. They shoot around, I think, 36%. Uh, but teams are getting have gotten good looks. The good teams have gotten good looks against Florida in the three-point game. Uh, that absolutely has to change if they have any chance tonight. Now, having said that, they could they could play that great uh, haze and and still have trouble because you're talking about Adam Sonoga up front. Uh, Ken Palm metrics have him has him as the fourth best player in the country right now. They just got guys all over the court that can either beat you with a three point shot, body you up, get physical. They're back to being the UConn teams that we were, that we were used to seeing that won four national championships over 15 years. They play that Northeast brand tough guy basketball again they play really really well now hey chris it's lauren is everything good now with koisey reeves uh with his hair (laughs) (laughs) with him getting playing time well i mean he played a lot he started the last two games right uh and i think he's gonna start the game tonight and he's played pretty good the last time i think what you get what the the, the situation with koisey is they want him to be they don't want him to be good on a few possessions. They want him to be good on a lot of possessions. And and granted, that's the, that's the goal for every guy. But uh, he'll have a way to get lost sometimes. And they've had some candid conversations uh, uh, w- with him. And you know he understands what he has to do. He understand. He said after that game, the FAMU game, where he started, he goes, "I'm not perfect. Coach isn't perfect either." So there was some serious talking between these two guys. And. Uh, they figured some things out. Um, I think in a perfect world, Kowasi Reeves is is the sixth or seventh guy on this team. The best player I think right now on this team is Will Richard, Lauren, and his his uh, uh, statistics bear that out. You're talking about a guy who's shooting over sixty percent from the floor, fifty eight from three, and ninety four from the from the from the free throw line. When he gets the ball in his hand. He's a winning, efficient basketball.
they need a lot more out of in a game like tonight and the rest of the games coming on. You're talking about Oklahoma in a couple weeks, Auburn to start the season. They need Colin Castleman to be better than he was in Portland. And, and better than he was the last couple of games. He's been okay the last couple of games, but uh, he got frustrated in Portland with the way fouls were called. Just the guy, he, went out there, he was averaging 25.3 points a game. Uh, he was third in the country in scoring. I think he averaged eight while he was out there, and he had three in the, in, the, in the game against West Virginia. He needs to be better. He knows that. He needs to be more physical, and he's going to have to be more physical tonight because they are going to body up, and they're going to try to take him out of any kind of low-post game that the Gators want to implement him with tonight. Chris Harry with us talking Gator basketball. Yeah, my, my read on the question Lauren asked you, because we talked about it a lot on our show, is they they were trying to send a message, obviously, to, to Golden's credit, I guess, Chris, with Kowasi Reeves. He came out after the Portland tournament and said, you know what, we got our point across. I might have overdone it. He didn't use those words, but he, he and I get the impression they're on the same page here. The, the to, to your point, the question I have, are they good enough at the four? They wanted Johnny Broom, who went to Auburn. They wanted the St. Bonaventure right. guy that went to Ohio, Iowa That's State. Right. They wanted a Washington right. State guy. When they and they missed it, he didn't miss many, but he missed those three guys. Are they good enough with Felder and Fudge? I think that's probably the big because I agree with you on Richard. He looks like a really good player. Bonham's better than I thought he would be. Uh, the question is, are they good enough up front along with Castleton? Um, you know, Alex Fudge. Alex Fudge is a guy that they believe has a very very high. Team. And I think he got challenged a little bit. He didn't play very good. I think it was the I think it was the first half of the FAMU game. Kind of bounced around a little bit. I think they got up 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 into him a little bit. So what are you doing? I mean, you need to impact the game. And then he came out. He had nine rebounds in the second half. I think he had a, his first double double of his career. And he came out and only had a, almost had a second double double in the game last night. And he's a skinny guy. He, he, he you can push him around a little bit, but but. You know, you're not going to jump over him. Uh, you know, he can bounce around with you. He can block your shot and do stuff like that. So uh, is, are, are they good enough at the four? I don't know that right now. But, I mean, if, if Fudge can keep getting better, I think that'll be a, a big lift for them. You know where I need to – you know where I want more from them? I want more from Kyle Lofton. Now, I know he's hurt. He's got back spasms. He's missed the last couple games. Um, but this is a guy shot – he's a 1,600-point scorer at St. Bonaventure. Uh, started every game of, of a four-year career. Uh, average over uh, five, like almost five and a half assists a game for his career. Um, he's just he just hasn't announced himself yet. It's been a little slow by injury and what have you, but uh, I think he's going to play tonight. I'm not sure. It's a game time kind of thing. He practiced yesterday, um, but uh, he's a better player than he's shown, and he's been certainly a more productive player than he's shown. And I think this is the kind of game. He's a guy from Jersey, and a lot of these players from are from up northeast. This is the kind of game that he grew up playing. And uh, I'm I'm hoping that this is that some kind of, this could be a springboard game for him. Um, nine nine points a game, three rebounds a game, four assists a game. I mean, he's, he's been okay, but he hadn't been like wow. This is this is a guy who Kyle Lofton got on the board. We hear from Arizona, he heard from Texas, he heard from Purdue. Those are all top ten teams right now. Okay, so uh, let's see that Kyle Lofton because I don't think we've seen it yet. Chris, if the Gators are healthy, what's a fair expectation for this team? The SEC has never been deeper, and so many of these guys are, are first-year players with Florida. So can you give fans, like, what's is, – is a 500 season, you know, is, is would that be a pretty good uh, deal for Todd Golden year one? Are they expecting more? Like, can you give us are, some indication talk, of that? Are you talking about 500 in the league, or are you talking about, like, a 16 – Yeah, like 500 in the league. Yeah, 9 and 9. I mean, I you know, I like you said, this is a – jam-packed conference. I was look uh, like 
to Frank's point, I mean, this uh, Connecticut is number two in the net right now. Florida has 12 games on their schedule right uh, right right now against teams that are better, higher than them in the net, and that includes Oklahoma non-conference game, Oklahoma non-conference game against Kansas State. So I mean, we're going to know who they are pretty quickly. All right, but uh, Todd Golden thinks this is he, he's not going to be happy with going nine and nine and playing in an NIT. I guarantee that he has much higher expectations. Uh, for himself, and he has much higher expectations for his players. And I, I know for a fact he tells them this every day. And I think that the, what happened against West Virginia was a smack upside the head, and it was treated as such at the ensuing practice. And you know, the last couple games have been against teams that are clearly overmatched. This is this is more this is a litmus test here. Um, if the Gators are to lose to UConn tonight, it's no embarrassment. It wouldn't surprise me at all if that happened. It's not the end of the year. But he wants to see them compete because he thought they – I don't want to use the word quit. He didn't use that to me. But he didn't like the competitive nature of how they responded to what West Virginia did to them. Let's, UConn's going to try to do that to them tonight. If they can, if they can withstand that and pull it, stare down a, a, tough, a tough-ass UConn team, then they can do that with Auburn. They can do that with Texas A&M. They can do that with Alabama and Kentucky and all these other teams going on through the SEC, which is just like you said, brutal. It's going to be a brutal, brutal league this year. Chris, one of my favorite stories when it comes to Florida basketball is Jason Jatobo. The fact that he was able to hit a three, I thought, made it even better. Uh, well, yeah, I tell you what, this is—they seriously were wondering in the spring if he would ever play basketball again. He had two very, very serious eye surgeries. I don't know if you read about that or heard about. I mean, I think he had to go two straight weeks with just being in bed, uh, twenty-three hours a day, laying face down, like you are, like like at a at a at a massage envy or something, with your face in the hole or whatever. Wow because that he needed the blood to go to the eye. So, uh, I mean, he, he still, when you look at him, he, you know, he, you know he, his, his eye looks a little off to the side or whatever. But, I mean, he's shooting almost 80% from the floor in his limited minutes. Um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a threat now, and he, he's a productive player. He's a great teammate, runs up and down the floor. I mean, he's not a guy who's going to play 15, 20 minutes. He's just not built for that right now, and I don't know if he ever will be. But uh, uh, to your point, uh, everyone everyone loves Jason Jatobo, uh, uh, and and seeing him hit that three, I, that was most smiles I saw, a collective amount of smiles I'd seen across the bench in a long time. It was better than any walk on hitting a three, I can tell you that, because he walked right into it, set it up. I mean, uh, held his arm out after he after he made it. It was a it was a really cool moment. I don't know. If, I don't know if that's the shot they want, but when you're up by 40 against Stetson, yeah, you can shoot it. Like yeah, that. you have room for yeah. that. Uh, yeah, hey, yeah, Chris, yeah, that's right. That's okay. Chris, Chris, final thing here. Uh, the last two years have been odd because they had to be. Mike Weiss last year, there was a ton of transfers that had to start between transfers like Appleby and Castleton had been there and then the new guys. And then this year, Todd Golden had no choice but to build it the same way. But is that where we're headed to in college basketball? I know we talk about it in football all the time. Are we headed to college basketball teams once Golden gets kind of situated in there, where you're still going to have five or six of your top eight or, or, or transfers, where, where do you see this thing going four, five, eight years from now? I don't see why it would be any different than football, Frank. I mean, and it's, it's, it's going to be more pronounced. It's going, to look, it's going to look even more so in basketball because the rosters are so much smaller and these guys – I mean, I, you, you throw on a game tonight. I watched, when that, I saw that guy play for that team last year. I saw that game play for – my daughter is, is uh, now a professor at University of Arkansas. She, she, she's, uh, we lost Trayvon Brazil today to an ACL injury. She talked about the Hogs. I said, shit, he was at Missouri last week or last year or something. So, I mean, it, it's, it's everywhere. 
I mean, I watched Georgia last night. Mike White's best player was, uh, came from Bradley. I know Florida desperately tried to get him. But, I mean, if, if a player is not happy with the situation, Frank, there's no the, – the, the, the coach has no leverage anymore because it used to be, uh, go ahead, transfer. You have to sit out of here. That will be a lot of fun. It's not that in, you know, and they can – and they, last week the, against West Virginia, they had a, a, a guard – who played at South Carolina last year, played at Washington the year before that, was at Wichita State the year before that. He's on his fourth school. So I, I don't know why it wouldn't be that way. I mean, if JT Daniels can play, go look, go looking for four schools. Basketball players can look for four schools. And I think we are headed that way. And I think that's why Roy Williams isn't coaching anymore. I think that's why uh, 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 Jay Wright's not coaching anymore. Uh, they've never come out and said that. You know, they are of the retirement age, and they've had brilliant careers. But uh, I think it's frustrating because uh, the players, you know, maybe the players should have more freedom to do some stuff. But um, in terms of bouncing around three and four places, I'm not happy here. I got, you know, even though I played 25 minutes a game at this place, I'm going to transfer to Louisville or transfer to Providence or something like that. I mean, I, I, I would be frustrated as a coach, too. And maybe that's why you got to go get a 37-year-old uh, young guy who relates to players better. And, you know, Todd Golden is, is the guy who's up for that challenge. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the way it goes. I think you're right. I think it's headed that exact way as well. Chris Harry does a great job. Uh, you see him on Twitter all the time, Fighting Gators or FloridaGators.com. UConn in Florida tonight in Gainesville, the exact tech arena at 9 o'clock. It's going to be fun to watch. Chris, thanks for joining us, brother. We appreciate it, man. See you guys. Thanks so much. All right. Chris Harry does such a good job, such a good job covering the Gators. Knows them, I mean, really inside and out. Great to have Chris on the program. Uh, Lauren's going to wrap the program with news and notes. That's after this. Stay with us. What's going on in the world? It's time for Frangie Show News and Notes. Here's Lauren Brooks. All right, gentlemen, some NFL news and nuggets that we have not gotten to. The Bills signed Von Miller in the offseason to improve their pass rush. He did just that. He had eight sacks in 11 games. But exploratory surgery today, or exploratory uh, knee procedure today, revealed he does have a torn ACL. He's out ah, for the season. That's a shame because I mean they, they, they were loading up, they were loading it up to win this year, and that's a big piece, a big piece of the defense. It's a huge loss, and uh, he was great last year uh, with the Rams. This was definitely considered to be the missing piece to a championship puzzle, and to not have him for the tournament and the final uh, month of the season as you're fighting for seeding. Uh, again, only one team gets the bye. That is a crucial bye. Buffalo is the one seed now. Will they be able to hold that without Von Miller? Um, that's that's asking a lot of Josh Allen. It certainly is. Eight sacks in 11 games. I don't He's know the phenomenal. last time that the Jaguars Very had a player nice. like that. I think he has the best dip around the edge mm -hmm. of any player I've ever seen. Yeah. It is amazing how low Von Miller can yeah. get and maintain that speed going around the edge. He was even doing it this year. Yep. I mean, he, he makes some sacks where the tackle doesn't even touch him. And I think that's probably why every pass rusher wants to go to his camp because they want to learn moves that he has. Yeah, it's a, it's a you know tough one for the Bills to stomach. Uh, early December means we have playoff clinching scenarios for really good teams. The Chiefs can clinch the AFC West with a win over the Broncos. You'd think Which that will happen. Will, will and do. a Chargers home loss to the Dolphins. That one could go either way. Yeah, I, I, I've said all that. Bills are great. The Chiefs are the best team. The Chiefs are the best. In my opinion, the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl. I know they just lost to the Bengals, who have now beaten them three times in a row. But if you ask me to pick one team that I think is built for the long haul, I think it's the Chiefs. I would pick the Chiefs as well. 
The Vikings can clinch the NFC North with a win or a tie at Detroit. I would think that happens, even though we just saw Detroit have a really good game. Detroit's favored in that game. Really? Which is shocking. That Detroit has a losing record. Me. Minnesota is like 11-2. and two, Right. And I believe they're like a two-point underdog in Detroit. Interesting. Really interesting They think Detroit's coming down. along more than just yeah. the one game. Well, well, I'll say this. The, the number one, Detroit Detroit played Detroit played well. I mean, they, they've played at a really good level of late. I mean, give them credit. I mean, they, Detroit has played really, really well. But Minnesota's pretty good. And, and one thing not talked about, no one, maybe right here, nobody talks about Kevin O'Connell. He was like a guy that the Jags had on their radar. Yep. They, they, what a job he's done. Done a nice job. I mean, I mean Kevin O'Connell, no one, when you start mentioning good young coaches, good coaches, no one's throwing his, his first year as a head coach, they're 11-2. I mean, I know he inherited a team, a veteran quarterback. There were some veteran pieces on that team. So it's not like he had a build, but I, he's done a good job. He's done a great job. I think Nick Sirianni for the Eagles doesn't get mentioned very often either. Agreed. He doesn't have a veteran quarterback, and, and the things that that team's able good to do point. has been very impressive. Granted, adding A.J. Brown no, has been point. very helpful. Uh, the Eagles can clinch a playoff berth, speaking of them, with a win at the Giants or if both the 49ers and Seahawks lose. I think the Cowboys are better than the Eagles right now. I, I mean, I, I understand. I would take the Eagles, but yeah. I understand why you would say that. Yeah. I just think when the Cowboys see a marquee opponent, yeah, that, yeah. they crumble. Yeah, and until and, and they been, yeah, get that, beyond that. I hear you. Good point. Four NFL teams whose starting quarterback next season is not on their roster. Two are in their division, or two are in this division. We talked a little bit about this yesterday. The Texans, they have Davis Mills, who, by the way, now right. will start against the Cowboys. Kyle Allen, Jeff Driscoll, not on the, on right. the roster. The Colts, Matt Ryan, Sam Ellinger, Nick Foles. Right. Not, on, Not the on the roster. Then you've got the Saints, Andy Dalton, Jameis Winston, Jake Luton. Obviously, a lot of people wanted it to be Jameis Winston. Probably not on the roster. And the Panthers, Sam Darnold, P.J. Walker, Matt Corral. Yeah, we talked about it yesterday in terms of the teams in the division. I, all four of those guys are in the C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, pick your guy derby. I mean, all four, all four of those teams can find a way to either manipulate their way up or down. Those are you know, there's, But there's a few other teams that are going to want to draft those guys, too even if they may have their guy. I'll expand it out even further. I think there's 16 teams that you can make an argument would be in the quarterback mix this year to upgrade. 16. And, and it's good for, you know, again, Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. The Rams, the Seahawks, despite Geno Smith playing as well as he's played, the Jets, if they're ready to give up on Zach Wilson, New England, if they're ready to give up on Mac Jones, the Titans, Vegas, Denver, Washington, the Giants, Detroit, Tampa Bay, depending on what Brady decides, right, and Atlanta, in addition. So, uh, of the ones you read off, the Jets would surprise me. Um, I would, I'd be very surprised if they move on, and if they move on from him, they may have their guy. But I mean, I'd be very surprised. New England, moderately surprised, but wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, you know, wouldn't be shot. I wouldn't be shot. I'd be I'd be surprised if either of those two tried to target quarterback in the draft. I, I really would. Well, and it, not necessarily even in the draft. Like, where does Garoppolo yeah, end yeah. up? What about Matt Ryan? Does he right. go somewhere else? Is there another one? Another stopgap. Yeah. Although I'm sure you saw the story. Now the 49ers are talking about bringing Jimmy Garoppolo back for yeah. next season. Yeah, well, you, you, the, the Trey Lance injury situation is worth watching. Right. But I would assume he'll be healthy by that point you, in time. You would think. That would, would think, be over yeah. a year. But yeah. I think they have finally realized what yeah. a lot of us have realized. He's a really good quarterback. He's a pretty good player. Uh, Mike Duraco of ESPN, I'm going to steal this tweet from him when it comes to the Jaguars. Wide receiver Zay Jones and Christian Kirk are the only Jaguars players on the 53-man roster who have beaten the Titans in Nashville. 
Zay Jones won there in 2019 with Buffalo, and Christian Kirk won there last season with Arizona. How about that? Two players on the 53-man. Oh, look, look. The, the, a lot of the players have been on this team. This team hadn't won up there since 13. Well, there's no Jaguar that was on the 2013 team. Right. Tyler Shatley is the eldest right? Jaguar, yeah, yeah. and he came in in 2014. Right, so, right. I mean, again, just think about that. I mean, that, it's, it's, it's remarkable. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, probably not going to change on Sunday. Yeah, and that's and that, with all due respect to the Titans, who I think, you know, I think, I think the Titans are very good. They're very tough-nosed. With all due respect to the Titans, that stat is more about the Jags than it is the Titans. It's more about I, yeah, I mean, I the agree. Jags had one winning season since 2007. That's reality. This week's narrative would be so different if the Jaguars had lost by a field goal to the Lions. I think a lot of us would be saying the Jaguars are probably going to yeah. beat the Titans based off of the Titans' lack of a passing attack. Uh, Florida State news, one day after Jordan Travis announced that he is returning for next season, four FSU starters announced they will return as well. Wide receiver Micah Pittman, linebacker Kalen Deloach, cornerback Renardo Green, and cornerback Jerrion Jones. Okay, I don't know much about the cornerbacks, but Deloach is a really good player. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, no and so look, is Pittman, the receiver. And Pittman's a very versatile player. He's a returner. He can, he can run jet sweeps. He does a lot of different things. But their best return guy. Look, they're loading up. They, they, they have targeted 24. They're... If you ask FSU people, they think that's if they have they they'll they'll still do more work in the portal. I still don't think they're completely built yet, but I think that's a Hayes said Hayes has said it all along. That's a top ten team to start the season. That's a team that's trying to get to the playoffs and win the whole thing. I don't I don't think they're going to win the whole thing next year, but that's that's the conversations they're having in Tallahassee now yeah. is about this is it's time nine and three next year will be disappointing. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean agree. that's how good they should be yeah. next year. And I think you're dead on. I think they'll start the season eighth. Yeah, quarterbacks back. I think there will be a lot of people, a lot of analysts that have FSU when they do their, you know, project your playoff. I think that'll be a very in vogue if you mm-hmm. want to go a little away from the chalk. I uh, I think a lot of people will include Florida State in there because you just don't know about Clemson. Uh, Clemson, you know, is, is a really good program, but it looks like maybe, maybe they're they're taking a little bit of a step back. And I know they won the conference and. But it just doesn't look the same. And I, it doesn't look the same as it looked with Watson and Lawrence. I, I tell you what, I tell you, what, I totally agree with that. If uh, if um, Jaden Daniels comes back, I assume he will. That opener next year in Orlando, oh, huge. That that'll be one of the best openers, FSU and, and LSU in Orlando. That that good stuff. Yeah, certainly. And we already touched on it. Uh, quarterback DJ Lagway, the elite yeah. quarterback, six three, two hundred twenty five pound dual threat. Quarterback is coming, or at least is committed, to the University of Florida. Yeah, best, best, best commit. We'll see if they turn out to be good players. The best recruiting commit they've had in many, many years. A decade. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so. you can make a case. It's yeah. the most important commitment they've had yeah. since Tim Tebow. Yep. Uh, the, and the beauty of Lagway is if that commitment holds, you have a full year. You know who Florida? You know who Billy Napier's recruiting coordinator is right now? It's DJ Lagway. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. he's going to now work the phones for a year at all these camps, see all these players, and it's going to be DJ Lagway's class, which is exactly how you want it to be yeah. if you're at the University of Florida. Let's say hello to Rick Ballou. Now, the two-minute drill brought to you by Tire Outlet. Keeping 1010XL talking with wholesale prices and premium service. Tire Outlet, Jacksonville's largest locally owned automotive repair shop. Blue, I'll ask you about the Jags in a minute, but first things first. Did you think, were you, did, were you convinced Aaron Judge was going back? Do you think he was going to leave New York? I wasn't convinced. Uh, I'm not convinced with anything nowadays. I mean, just yeah. what happened with Verlander. Uh, you would yeah. have thought that he would have liked to have stayed in Houston, where 
you know, they win World Series. He's going to go to New York. They're going to be the second team. They're, they're never going to win it. The Mets are never going to win it. I don't care if you have Verlander and Scherzer and Tom Seaver and Nolan Ryan. and uh, <laughs> yeah, They're not going to win uh, a World Series. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I did think that that offer by San Francisco, even though San Diego got involved and offered just a ton, uh, a lot of people thought he was going to go to the Bay Area. So, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm not completely shocked. Uh, but I am just a little bit surprised that he returned to Gotham. Right. The Jags' topic of the day, uh, Trevor Lawrence did not practice, but Ricky expects to play in the game. I'd be very surprised if he does not. Yeah, for Trevor, it's about mental reps right now, midweek, and uh, just being able to put everything together with this offense and uh, you know try to go to a place where they haven't won since 2013. It's going to be a tough putt for the Jags, but we'll see. Uh, you look at their injury report, Compared to Tennessee, once again, Jacksonville goes into this game in much better shape. They're a healthier team, but you got to get the quarterback ready. No doubt about that. Yeah, all right. Rick uh, Rick goes in. What else tonight, Rick? That and a whole lot more. Yeah, we got a bunch going on tonight. A lot of good stuff coming up here over the next couple of hours. So uh, we're ready to go once you wrap it up. All right, Rick. Thanks very much. Rick Blue goes into the night. I do want to remind you, only one more day now before we head to the Ale House. And we have our toy drive brought to you by the Hastings Injury Law Firm. I can't wait till Friday afternoon, man. Please come bring toys. It means so much to these children. Tomorrow we're live at uh, a Blue Sky Golf Course from nine to, uh, from 2 to 4. And uh, Greg McGarity will stop by. They'll be playing some golf. Great prices on golf. We'll give away some hats. And then on Friday at the Ale House, uh, our toy drive. I'm so excited about that. It's one of the most exciting days of the year. So we're out of here. We'll see you tomorrow at Blue Sky. Rick Palou is next. For Hayes, Lauren, and Gibby, I'm Frank Franzi. So long.